0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This
2: is the Matt Townsend Show.
3: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
2: BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. It's Friday, folks. Friday Nearing your vacation day, Saturday. For some of you, you don't get to take Saturday off. Because you have to do all your yard work. You have to... Some of you get to have all this family time. Which, for others, feels like a chore. I'm excited. I've got a lot to do tomorrow. Like? Take down a basketball hoop.
4: Like, actually, like, with tools, you're just going to go try to dunk on it.
2: Well, we have... We had it's three, like gravity help. With we had the three basketball hoops. Oh, okay. And it's time to take one of them out. Just tear it down.
4: Is one of them like a tiny Tyke's plastic one? Yeah, it's a little smaller one. Okay.
2: And my kids say they don't want me to get rid of it, but it's it's on its side in a heap. Hmm. But now we've got to take it apart so it can fit in my dumpster. <laughs> That's my Saturday activity. Sounds exciting. It's going to be so exciting. Hmm. What could be better? I don't have any more sports to watch with my kids. I mean, any more games that they're playing. I don't have uh, any classes tomorrow. I don't have any speeches. So it's just family day. Wow. It's sleep-in day. So that'll probably get me to 7 Mm a.m. And then it's time to start to tear stuff up.
4: Do you feel like you're missing out when sleeping into you is 7 a.m.? Totally. Because the rest of the world, I know it's like nine. It's pitiful. Which is which would be great, except uh-huh. I, like person I cannot sleep past seven. I know it's sad. Mainly because I have a you know uh, somebody punching me in the face, but that's a different story. Why does she do that? No, it's the child. Oh, sorry. Comes in,
2: Dad. Wake up, <laughs> Daddy. <laughs> I want to watch Netflix. <laughs> Get out the lightsabers and beat me in the head. <laughs> is that what he says? Sort of. Something like that. Something cute like that. Uh, got a, a very interesting guest we're going to be talking with today. Um, we live in a world – in fact, yesterday we talked to an evolutionary biologist. Yes. And basically he taught us that we are highly socially uh, evolved to protect our social environment. We are. And yet we actually vote very individualistically. Mm-hmm. So our guest today is going to be talking about maybe we ought not be doing that. Maybe we ought to remember, as you're voting, the importance of society as a whole. We've had a theme over the last couple
4: of guests. We yeah. had a guy talking about the politics of homeownership. Right. Right, And the right. idea that we, when our attitude towards taxes is based on we don't want to pay more, but if we pay more, the idea is that it helps out society as a whole. Yeah. And so if society's we, helped, then you are helped. You have that individual versus the group concept, right? We talked about that yesterday with
2: how our how our society has evolved. Uh-huh. And is it your brain that gets you, you know, all your success, or is it the mere fact that you have become so socialized that you work with people?
4: And then today, this this the woman we're going to have on is talking about like uh, social policy, political policy, when it comes to individual versus a social viewpoint. It's pretty cool, yeah.
2: And when you're about to choose the president. You really ought to be thinking for the whole – The like she calls it the commonwealth, but for the community, for everybody. Think about everybody. Think about the whole, not just – don't just go in that booth and be a strong individual. Hmm. hmm. Powerful. So we'll get to her uh, in just a few moments and uh, talk all about that plus a bunch of other headlines we've got to get to plus some sound clips from Paul Ryan, uh, things that were overheard after his meeting with senior trump and uh but first let's get to the headlines with terry south terry what's going on
4: thanks matt the obama administration has issued a directive telling every public school in the country that transgender students must be allowed to access to the restroom or locker room consistent with their gender identity Schools can provide other options for students seeking additional privacy, but they can't force transgender students to use individual user facilities when other students are not required to do so. The directive makes it clear that the administration considers this a civil rights issue and transgender students must have access to facilities even when students or parents object. The desire to accommodate others' discomfort cannot justify a policy that singles out and disadvantages a particular class of student, the declaration states. Really so, interesting. Following uh, his closed-door meeting with Donald Trump at the Republican National Committee headquarters, House Speaker Paul Ryan said he was very encouraged by their exchange and feels that while uniting the party behind the presumptive nominee will take some time, he believes it possible. We talked about our differences, he said. It was also important that we discussed the core principles. I think he said core principles. Fifty times in the press conference so after it's this about meeting, some core principles. Allegedly, that's what what the trend is. The fact that we have an an executive that has gone way beyond the boundaries of the Constitution is why we need our core principles. <laughs> so. Back to President Obama. He's dodging. About one in four Americans say he or she would vote for a third party or not vote at all in a Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump matchup. But realistically, it's too late for a viable third party candidate if one was ever feasible at all. That's the case for a number of institutional reasons, like complicated ballot access rules, which smaller parties struggle to comply, or the way the American voting structure disproportionately punishes every candidate who isn't first past the post. Hmm. But perhaps the single most frustrating factor w- why a viable independent run is all but impossible is the baseline for inclusion in the general election debates. A candidate must demonstrate 15% national support to be invited to the debate stage, but it is incredibly difficult to gain that support before appearing on a stage.
2: Ah, yes.
4: So just popping on the scene right now and trying to gather support so you can actually be seen. not have enough. It
2: just won't happen. Ground so swell
4: makes it mm. difficult. The TSA says it's still experiencing delays in its checked bag screening system at uh, Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airport, which has resulted in more than 3,000 bags missing flights so far. TSA spokespeople say that the technical issue began about six forty-five a.m. Thursday. There's no estimate on when the problem will be fixed. The AP reports uh, TSA working with its airline and airport partners using alternative screening tools. To screen bags, though those methods aren't as efficient as their automated system. Uh, they also say the uh, TSA is bringing additional canine units from other airports to, and bringing that So they're messed up. If you saw, there's a lot yeah. of luggage stacked up in parking lots. And-
2: they're probably it's just probably one guy. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just one new guy that can't it's the move new, the luggage fast enough. It's the new guy. <laughs> the guy and that's the, sweating.
4: And this was happening while they were on Cap- the TSA leadership was on Capitol Hill answering why lines are so long. Oh, really? And also, why did somebody who was supervising a bunch of people that failed those security inspections, uh-huh. why did he get a $90,000 bonus? They get bonuses? That was kind of the attitude from the Congress people sitting on the, you know, asking the questions. They're like They get bonuses? And the guy's like, well, you know, That's it was crazy. An old, he said it was an old system under the old leadership. I've ended that, you know, because they fired everybody. And he's, yeah. he's the new guy. Wow. I want to work there. Yeah, Fun times. Good you can, times. You can fail at your job. And make an extra ninety grand. Well,
2: then it's America. There's hope, brother. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, every day. Do you want to make ninety extra thousand dollars this year? I could make the show a (laughs) lot worse, Matt. (laughs) Have I got a job for you? No, no, no. You're doing great. Just I'm glad you're awake. Good morning to you. You're welcome. Okay. Yeah. Didn't even say that. Didn't say thank you. Um, So. Here's the deal. Donald Trump goes up to Capitol Hill, knocks him over. They love the guy.
4: As the press release was out to the media the second they left the building. Those are the fastest
2: press people. Quotes, everyone's happy. Yeah. Kumbaya. No one's. No one loves him more. But we're not quite ready to endorse him, but it, it could happen. It's a process. It's a process. And... Uh, um, so since that, we, let's just go through some of the the lessons learned, okay? Um, Reince, Reince? Yeah. that sounds so wrong, Priebus, um, chairman of the RNC, he, uh, he, he came out, and this is what he said after the meeting.
5: Well, I think Donald Trump gets it completely about being presidential and gracious, and I can tell you that's how he acts toward... Uh, me and in private, and I think he understands that getting to that place is important. But you know, Donald Trump also has to be Donald Trump. I mean, that's what got him here.
2: Yeah, I mean, the guy's got to be the, the guy's got to be himself. So he's gracious in private. They say he was. They not say so much in public. Paul Ryan really liked him in private. Yeah, he's never met him. Apparently. Never met him. I mean, maybe a meet, but nothing like where they talked. And he says he's very interesting guy uh paul ryan um on on this idea
6: of needing to unify the party the process of of unifying the republican party which just finished a primary about a week ago perhaps one of the most divisive primaries in memory takes some time look there are people who are for donald trump who are for ted cruz or for john Kasich, who are for marco rubio and everybody else and it's very important that we don't uh fake unifying, we don't pretend unification, that we truly and actually unify so that we are full strength in the fall.
2: You don't want to fake that. Fake unification? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, everybody does that in their marriage once in a while. <laughs> you stay together for the kids, right? Well, you, you you fought all the way to, you know, Easter brunch, Yeah, and then you show up and you fake unification. Yeah. And then, you know, it's cold, at the brunch <laughs> bar... But you're doing it. You're doing it for the kids. You're doing it for grandma, grandpa. Um, Paul Ryan, though, did say he he heard uh, he heard some good things from Donald.
6: I want to make sure that we really truly understand each other and that we are committed to the conservative principles that make the Republican Party that built this country. And again, I, I I'm very encouraged. I I heard a lot of good things from our presumptive nominee, and we exchanged differences of opinion on a number of things that you know everybody knows we have.
2: Yeah. I mean we know they're going to be different. Like Paul Ryan isn't big on you know, keeping every Muslim in the world out of the United States. Yeah,
4: he's against mass deportation mm-hmm. and then shutting
2: down the borders. He's, he's against that. Yeah. Paul Ryan has got a hard job. Yes, he does. Because <laughs> he has to like take care of everybody in Congress and a certain percentage of Congress hate Donald Trump and hate Paul Ryan. And that those are the people that he has to kind of make nice with so that they will be willing to i guess support donald trump and unify how do you unify three or four different branches
4: they call them wings of the party
2: that's the term there's
4: several apparently you just just need two there's like four or five that's probably why this thing
2: doesn't fly
4: (laughs) yeah then there's like sub wings winglets yeah Yeah. if you will uh a winglet of the party so it just keeps splintering and he's trying to get a, his hands around his party
2: and and it seems like Donald did a great job flew in there got about as much attention as the Pope did it, and even had protesters he did but he he, he had enough poll there because even uh, Senator Orrin Hatch he's kind of now saying he can get behind Trump, which is a big deal because Utah really didn't like him no
4: they were heavily against him even though he showed up and said he loves everyone. And everything. So
2: yeah. Wow. Did you hear about Donald's latest?
4: No. What did he do? Apparently,
2: they're now playing video or audio of him way back in the '80s being his own publicist.
4: Oh yeah, he fakes a name. Uh But they they
2: have audio, and when you listen to the audio, the guy's like, he he yeah, he has a tremendous record. He's using all of Donald's words, and you're like, oh boy. So now that might be a little embarrassing. But who hasn't acted as their own publicist?
4: Well, it's more of the creating an entire persona, having the media call, uh, I guess, a separate number to talk to this persona. <laughs> <laughs> he really went the extra mile with this. So. Yeah.
2: Man, who has time to do
4: that? I thought he was really busy. Uh, he has people to do things. He has good managers. Well, he must because
2: he must just sit there and that's why he has time to text.
4: Right. And tweet. Well, he doesn't. We've heard when, during the business day, he just yells out to the girls in the office. Oh, the girls. Tweet this. you know. Girls, tweet. He goes, they're wonderful girls. They're, they're great, uh, great. They help uh, me out a lot. And he just yells out to them uh, tweets. And that's what he said a couple weeks ago.
2: Yeah, he can't say that. Can't say that. Um, anything else going on in the news we need to worry about? Um, At the moment, uh, Jimmy Kimmel might run for vice president. Yeah, we can get to that in a few minutes.
4: <laughs> it's funny.
2: Yeah, of course. It's Jimmy Kimmel. Well, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to be talking with Professor Marsha Pally and um, this topic of this, this idea that we are so independent. And In the United States, we're big on that, right? We've declared our independence. And yet, again, all of science is proving how truly interdependent we are on each other, on other countries, on, on everything. We have a global economy, we have global marketplace. And yet we go in and we make the decision about who to choose as President of the United States based on a very individualistic mindset. And it may not work for us. So we'll be talking about individualism versus kind of collectivism. Stick with us, folks. Some uh, pretty interesting isms coming up. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We will be right back. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. You know, we have been uh, talking a lot over the last few weeks and months on the show about truly the interdependent nature or state of all of us uh, as, as humans on this great big ball of mud, right? We feel like we're so powerful, so, you know, we have so many rights as individuals, except none of those rights matter if we don't have each other we are truly a collection of people and our uh, evolutionary biology as we've already talked about yesterday on the show our biology even shows us how truly you know um, social we are and interdependent we are and yet we go into the ballot box you close the little curtain and there you are all by your little lonesome ready to make a decision and you might have a very strong opinion about what you want in your president. However, we probably ought not forget, if if we have any control and ability to do this, we probably ought to remember that it's really about the whole, not the parts that we need to try to maintain. The whole meaning there's a whole global community involved, there's a whole uh, country involved there's a whole group of different parts of the country um, demographics ethnographics there's sex differences there's gender i mean there's um there's every form of uh, religious diversity race color you name it and we're all still one right so when you're making your decisions maybe we ought to be thinking that way our next guest um, is, is a true expert in this topic and is the author of the book, um, Commonwealth and Covenant, Economic Politics and Theologies of Relationality. Her name is Professor Marsha Pally. She is a professor at New York University in multilingual, multicultural studies and at Fordham University and is a regular guest professor at Humboldt University's theology faculty. And we are honored to have her on the show today. Professor Marsha Polly, thank you so much for being with us.
7: Good to be with you. What
2: what an interesting topic for us. Talk to us about um, this. uh, You call it. Uh, a covenant that we, we kind of make with each other, um, a relationship bond that we make with each other that, that we need to be remembering, I guess, in, in all of our interactions, in politics and in, you know, in world and governing?
7: We do. Co- uh, Commonwealth and Covenant is not about partisan politics. It's about understanding the way we human beings are and the context with each other and the world that we're in in order to frame our economic and political policies and our voting patterns but in order to do that we have to understand something like the basic setup and i found in researching commonwealth and covenant that it's not so much that we make a covenant with each other is that we are born into it as a matter of biology as a matter of physics as a matter of the way we are we're individual persons individual entities with singular talents and abilities we're different and separate from each other in that way but we become who we are through layers of relationships with each other
2: mm. that that's it that it really in a way it's it's beautiful it's it's like yeah it's like you're born into a family <laughs> Um, and you you have a responsibility to one another, um, and I, I guess part of your point is we need to look at each other as that, as members of almost a family.
7: I think our families include again, as a matter of biology, physics, and our setup, our families include those near and those at some distance for ourselves. Our families extend out. Let me explain what I mean. Uh, Of course, think of a young child who is affected by interactions with the parents, caregivers, siblings, community. But the conditions that all those adults live in are affected by people not so near. The education that the parents, siblings, and the child have access to are determined often by people not so close. The economic opportunities, the nutrition, the health care, the stress that a family is under due to health or economic duress. All these things are affected um, like in waves. If you plunk a pebble into a lake, you'll see waves going out. So our interconnectedness begins with those near, but immediately extends out. And it's just that, that we need to take into account when we set up our economic and political policies. If we're interested in human flourishing, we have to take account of our setup, our individuality amidst our contexts and our relationships.
8: Hmm.
2: Is we there something
7: to understand how to build policies that will promote human flourishing?
2: Is there something about economics and political, you know, policy making um, and governing that that makes us maybe forget this commonality?
7: Not per se. Government, of, of course, to begin with democratic governments i'm speaking of begins with the premise of the covenant in the 16th century the uh, thinkers in uh, in europe who were developing the concept of the fœderis of the federal the basis for our federal government were drawing on covenantal theology as their basis the idea that we are separate and we even may form groups that are separate from other groups. Nonetheless, we flourish by cooperative interaction and relationship amongst persons and amongst groups. And our idea of federalism, our system of government, is born in this religious theological principle of distinct beings, distinct groups, who acknowledge their reciprocal impact on each other and therefore take each other into account in moving forward.
2: Hmm. It's a, it really is. You call that, I guess, it comes from relational theologies um which is it, which is a parallel of God and and us. I I and I'll have you explain that to us. Um and yet it seems like too we come down here and we are a Judeo-Christian ethic in the United States, it seems, and yet we still are so partisan. Help me understand kind of the uh, relational theology concept and how it plays out or doesn't play out in our partisanship.
7: Yeah, we have a a foundational setup, for lack of a better word. Some call it the way we've been created – Uh, to be and sometimes we mess it up but let's uh, talk a little bit about what that is to begin with Um, we very basically we are each as I mentioned different differentiated people but come to be who we are through our layers of interaction now science has been saying this for the last 50 or 60 years but our faith traditions have been saying this for the last few thousand years, so one could think that our sciences are finally catching Mm -hmm. up to our theologies. And I'll explain how it sounds in theological terms. And I want to take a moment to, to tell your listeners that some people think of theological principles as an illuminating metaphor. Others think of it as the Word of God. But in both cases, we have much to learn from the principles that, I'm going to, that we're going to talk about together now. Uh, they begin with the idea that um, that uh, there's something whatever makes everything and any particular thing. There could be nothing. The universe could be one spectacular blob. But it's not. It's full of distinct entities, and specific distinct entities. And whatever is the reason for all of that, there's being something rather than nothing, and the particular things that there are, some people call that God. And we notice that any particular person is very different from whatever the foundational source of existence is, that is infinite. We're finite. That's not material. We are material people in our bodies. We're radically different from whatever the cause or reason or structure for all existence is. But on the other hand, we have to have something of the source of existence in us. I'm speaking metaphorically, in us. Yeah. In order to exist at all, we have to have something of the source and structure of existence. In order to exist so this this means at very bottom that we are both very different from the source of what makes everything but on the other hand we're intimately related to the source of what makes everything because it's in us in order to exist existence itself is a matter of difference differentiation and profound foundational relation That's the universe we live in. That's the system or the setup we're in. Distinct, differentiated entities within profound relation in order to continue to exist. That's what people are. We are different and distinct and in profound, intimate relation with other people and our environmental surroundings in order to exist. Thomas Aquinas, the great medieval theologian and philosopher, called this the being intimate with God, God being intimate in each of us. Mm. And yet, on the other hand, biologists say the same thing, that our structure of human existence is a matter of um, relating to others near and far, in order to develop our basic brain functioning, our in- intellectual development, our emotional development, and our moral development. Wow!
2: So, really, uh, l- let me just give it the layman's view, and you correct me, Marcia. Sorry about that. No, this is because you're brilliant, and um, so, so, if whether you believe in a god. Um, I'll I'll do it with God, but it could be just the higher power, a higher source, the governing, the, the all being energy, whatever we want to call it. We all are different, but we possess a part of that goodness, that God, that being, that power, that energy is one way to look at this, which would be why we all have to look at each other with some respect and recognize that we are all in relation to each other because we are all in relation to that God or higher power. But biologists say virtually the exact same thing because even though we're all so distinct and different, we all still possess the same DNA DNA codes, genetics uh, that are flowing through all of us, which make us one, um, and why we are all so needed to maintain and watch out for each other. And physicists say very similar things. So is that the point, that even however you look at it, if you look at it through pure theology or religion, let's say, or through biology, we are distinct different beings, yet one?
7: Sounds right to me. You've you've made um, an interesting double point. One is that we need to look at each other with respect— and think about others, sometimes quite at a distance from ourselves, because they too have within them something of whatever makes everything, Ooh. and for some people that's God. Yeah. Um, and, and you've made another point in your uh, recap there, uh, that uh, our basic way of being is also in relation. Yeah. And uh, here's where the biologists and the physicists come in and are catching up to theology. Uh, they're noticing that without, let's take the biological first, without um, welcoming relations, the child cannot develop. Yeah. And we know this on the positive side and the negative side, we know this, that us children if children's physical needs are met, they're fed, they're kept warm, they're washed, their diapers are changed, etc.
2: Let's do this, Professor. I've got to take a break, but um, we'll come back to that welcoming relation that we all need biologically and in life. Uh, excellent, excellent uh, start, I think, with Dr. Marsha Pally. We appreciate her. We'll be right back, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, trying to uncover our individuality, yet our collectivity. We'll be right back. Townsend Show. Honored to be joined on the phone by Professor Marsha Pally. Um, She is a professor at New York University in multilingual, multicultural studies and at Fordham University. She's also a regular guest professor at Humboldt University's theology faculty and the author of the book Commonwealth and Covenant Economics, Politics, and Theologies of Relationality. That is such a hard word to say. say. Theologies of Relationality. Professor Marsha Pally, welcome back to the show. Looking with you. We, we love having you, and again, I'm just slow. I'm just slow, Professor. But I love this this idea, too, that uh, you keep saying that science is finally catching up with theology. Theology has been teaching this this theology of rela- relationality forever, and um you And now, all of a sudden, evolutionary biology is starting to show how hyper-cooperative we are, um, and, and even, I guess, uh, physics is now – post-quantum physics is now starting to see that connectivity as well. Before the break, you were talking about the fact that in biology, for example, uh, we have to talk about – I think you called it welcoming relations, where Ooh, a child yeah. is born and we need to – we have this special uh, rule or, or responsibility to – to care and to, to take care of the child and, and help it learn the social skills?
7: The welcoming relations I was referring to are necessary for development. They're necessary for physical, neurochemical, brain development, without which the child is impaired and is impaired um, especially in their ability to feel empathy, to see the long-term to be able to compare past and future and to be able to make moral decisions. Mm. Let me give you some ideas about what the biologists are saying, and then we can switch over to physics. Um, uh, Evolutionary biologist Donald Fass, for example, says that we are not only set up for relationship, but wired for goodwill as a matter of uh, evolution. Um, And Edwin Fruvald calls this reciprocal altruism. Which even precedes our formal institutions and again appears to be hardwired. Hmm. And there's an evolutionary reason for this. Let's say you have two groups, and they're looking at some tasty bison to um, kill off in our hunter gatherer stage. Hunt and gathering is 95% of human evolution. If these two groups go to war against each other, they kill off a lot of each other, they reduce their resources, and there's less of a chance anybody's going to get that bison to survive. But if they cooperate, then they get the bison and everybody eats. Uh, and biologists are finding the same thing with um, with child-rearing. The more cooperative child-rearing uh, there is, the more chances that offspring will survive. Huh. And at the level of biology, we shouldn't be surprised, because this relational dependence exists in physics. Um, all, all our subatomic particles are distinct particles, to be sure, but their trajectories are formed in relation to the tra- trajectories of other subatomic particles. Uh, for instance, here's um, physicist Carlo Ravelli All things are continually interacting with one another, and in doing so, each bears the traces of that with which it has interacted. In this sense, all things continually exchange information about one another. Mm. That which makes us specifically human does not signify our separation from nature. It is part of that nature. It's a form that nation has taken here on this planet in the infinite play of combinations through the, here's the point, reciprocal, influencing, and exchanging.
2: Wow. That's at a subatomic level.
7: That's at the subatomic level. And we shouldn't, therefore, be surprised that at the biological level and at the human developmental level, we are also distinct, but we don't get to be anybody except through our relations. Mm. You asked me a a question a little while ago. Um, So how come we're so partisan? Right. Um, It's interesting that um, all of the great faith traditions take uh, this into account. Um, Noticing when we have free will, we sometimes do make the decisions um, out of fear, often, to focus on me and mind as a protection mechanism. The problem with that is that in the short term and the long term that's not very productive precisely because we're set up for relationality right there are many stresses in history um not only scarcity but i would say more the fear of scarcity the anticipation or fear that somebody out there is going to take what you have and this fearful anticipation often promotes A defensive response that leads to aggression against others. And and yet, it doesn't work out very well for us. It works out into individuals fighting each other, or groups fighting each other, or what the great 17th century philosopher Thomas Hobbes called the war of all against all, Mm. which he noted comes from fear. Not more than anything else. And if you, in a fearful mode, start thinking of yourself excessively, not just yourself in context with others, but only yourself, me and mine, my profits, my firm, my political party, me, me, me then you're also apt to think that the world works that way, that others are doing the same, and you have to protect yourself from their chicanery and their anticipated attacks against you. And you get a cycle of attacks, and it's a downward spiral because we flourish when we function cooperatively and taking the other into regard Understanding our reciprocal impact and reciprocal responsibility.
2: Mm. One that this uh, professor Pally, is one of the reasons that I think uh, evolutionarily. I mean that why I think of my God and how that helps me because um, I I look at it like um, I need I can worry that someone else might take it or I could exercise and have fear or I could exercise faith in a higher power that is guiding me to not have everything in the world, but to become what I want or need to become. Um, So so I guess my faith might help me through my fear, but um, we only have a few more minutes and I've got to ask you this. So what does all of this have to do with when we walk into the ballot box?
7: What criteria do we use to pick a policy or a president? I think we need to use the criteria that will lead to the long-term flourishing of people on, on the earth. Yeah. That means people in their contexts. That's the basic framework. And that's the basic premise of Commonwealth and, and Covenant. We have to make our political choices based on uh, the universe that we live in and, and the condition of, of our human nature. So, uh, moving away from that fear-based perspective, we should recognize that we will all do a lot better if we go with the grain of the setup, so to speak. Go with the grain, if you believe in God, then of our created setup. Mm -hmm. Go with the grain of the way human beings and the universe is organized, and we're organized for reciprocal cooperation and taking that into account. Joel Hunter, the Reverend Joel Hunter, um, put it beautifully. He uh, talks about asking yourself, when you think you're in a fearful attack situation, why is the other side for the other side? I'm going to repeat that. Ask yourself why the other side is for the other side. And now try to take that into consideration all sides have to take that into consideration when you negotiate solutions when you develop economic policy educational policy political policy and we need to be voting for people who appreciate that because that's our foundational setup
2: that's beautiful and and, and basic right i mean it's just go go with the grain of how we were or how we've been created. I mean, genetics are teaching us, theology is teaching us, and uh, Professor Marcia Pally, you're teaching us. Thank you so much for your insight.
7: Thank you so much for having me on and for asking me such great questions. I really enjoyed this. Thank you. You
2: bet. Again, the name of the book, Commonwealth and Covenant, Economics, Politics, and Theologies of Relationality. Relationality you think as a relationship coach I'd be able to say that word. Professor Marsha Pally, again, is the author of that book. Uh, profound, profound insight. Um, genetics, physics, theology, folks. They're telling us that we are one, yet distinct. And yet we might not always act that way because our fear creeps in and, and starts to take over. We'll take a break. Come back and uh, wrap up this first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Hoping here on the show to help you see the good in the world. And the good is right next to you and across the country and across the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, It's so interesting to me. uh, You talk to all of these academics who spend their entire life studying stuff. And yet, yesterday, I was just reading a book, just reading a book about spiritual living, and the exact same lesson was basically being taught. But there's, you know, however you see it, there is an interconnected nature to all of us. And if you look at when somebody or some group becomes too individualistic, too focused on protecting their core, they they might just be flat out acting out of faith out of fear, not faith. Isn't faith the the opposite of the fear? And can you have both? Can I be full of fear and full of faith? I don't. I don't think you can. Um, I think at some point, fear is going to drive us to become people we don't like. One of the big lessons I see when I'm working with my clients is: no matter what happens in your marriage, even if you could blame ninety-nine percent of the marriage failure on your spouse. I wouldn't, I would, I would fully own my 1% or 10% because, and I, I was saying this the other day as I was training a bunch of coaches, um, on my program, I'm sitting there talking to them and I said, no matter what, it is never a one way failure of a relationship. Relationships don't just fail one way. Um, there's one relationship I can think of that would be your relationship with deity, your relationship with your god that 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 that'll never fail two ways. That'll only fail our way. But when it comes to our marriages and our other relationships, there's always things I can do differently, especially the sign that we that we may be upside down in the relationship is if I have a lot of anger, if I have a lot of fear, if I have guilt, if I have shame, if I have blame, if I'm blaming, fearing, shaming, guilting, then I know that I probably have something in me that is not quite right. Because if what I was doing was right, wouldn't there be a peace associated with it? Doesn't mean that wouldn't be a trial still, because it would still be difficult. But I should probably have some peace. And I've noticed with these couples as um, they're really struggling and they're breaking up, um, I have some people that are way too insecure in order to, to even go through such a difficult phase as a divorce or a separation. They're just too weak, they're too dependent. I have other people that are, that are just too rude, they're just too selfish, they're too, you know, bullheaded. Either way, whether you're too weak or too strong, It's a failure of us to be agents that are independent and able to act. And that's kind of what I believe Professor uh, Marsha Pally is teaching us here, is at some point, whether you believe it through God and theology or through biology or through evolution and or through physics, um, through politics, there is a point where if you're too individualistic you are going to cut your nose off. You're going to harm yourself. That's what I always say on the show. We are all one natural disaster away from realizing how important everyone is. Right? We're one terrorist attack away from uniting again as a great country. And then fear operates and then we start tearing ourselves apart. So let's not do it. Let's just start seeing the divine spark, as Emerson called it, inside of each other. How about that? That's a start. Hoping to see the good in the world, right? That's the goal of this show. We'll take a break. Next hour, more ideas, more tools to help you live longer and love stronger. Stick with us.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side. Follow
0: Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
2: Welcome back, friends, to hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. Your life coach here. Your guide on the side today. Holy cow. We are going to go take you on a course through the uh, ancient Chinese philosophy. And uh, who better to teach us than two professors from Harvard? Mm. It's going to be quite the journey as we will go in deep and try to figure out what we can learn from Chinese philosophers. Man, how many times have you heard somebody quote Buddha, Confucius? Come on great stuff great uh great insights. so we'll we'll be talking with them in just a few moments hopefully create a little zen space for you as you enter into your weekend that That, way that's the hope we're trying to get some zen for ben so he can really whip up some nice ice cream and bring it to us monday
5: what kind of ice cream do you want I'm looking for something... He likes
2: that
4: beef stew-flavored ice cream we talked about a week ago. He likes that. With, like,
2: creamed corn in it? Yeah, and some chunks of carrots. Really, yeah, yeah. No, actually, I would prefer a little uh, mint chocolate chip.
5: (laughs) Okay, I could do that.
2: That's original. But not like your Christmas mint, like you did last time. That was really good, too. That was really good. Just solid mint. A less festive mint. Okay. A greenish mint.
5: Does it have to be green?
2: Yes,
4: really. Because
2: mint is green. So says all the candy he eats. <laughs> yeah, every mint candy I consume is green. Okay, I'll you know, see what mint I can that do. You pull off of a little that mint thing is green. It's not blue. Don't bring me blue ice cream.
5: But if you put it in ice cream, it's just.
2: Do you want like flavor crystals or just sort of a general flavoring? Ooh, if you could throw some flavor crystals in there, that would be fantastic. But don't make it taste like uh, toothpaste. Last time he ran out of mint and he just put toothpaste in. Yeah.
5: Well, Well, I I swirled it in. I didn't make the ice cream taste like mint. I just like swirled that.
6: It
2: had a horrible taste, horrible aftertaste, and I had gut burn for about a week, but my teeth, whiter than ever. Yeah. Best ice cream. In the world. teeth whitening ice cream. You're welcome. uh, Let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the world?
4: Thanks, Matt. The Navy has fired Eric Rash, the commander of 10 American soldiers who wandered into Iranian waters and were captured for about 15 hours in January. In a statement released and provided to the AP on Thursday, the Navy said it had lost confidence in Rash after the incident because he was responsible for the training of more than 400 sailors in the unit. Rash has been relieved, and his duties... Really relieved of his duties and now reassigned to a different position. Words are uh, The word has it it's latrine duty. Oh, boy. That's what happens. I watch movies yeah. when you're in trouble yeah. in the military. Either KP mm-hmm. or latrines. You're either peeling potatoes or it's latrines. Don't they call it the head on the ship? Depends. I don't know. Depends on the movie. Depends on the movie. Swallowing the Donald Trump pill has been rough for many Republican establishment, leading to a discussion about shutting out independents and Democrats from helping to pe- uh, pick future nominees during the primaries, political reports and states with closed primaries, Ted Cruz often beat Trump. A fact that is not going to notice. Even Republican National Committee Chairman Reince Priebus argued that only Republicans should vote in a re- Republican primaries. Some others have made the case for softer rules, let the states decide, but pointed out that the advantage to having a closed primary system is evident. Wow. Huh.
2: You know, Just shut it down. Well, it's bad. I mean, yeah. They're already... Anyway, that's going to be bad.
4: Just figure it out. The Massachusetts uh, State Police and the New Hampshire State Police have reportedly placed on leave several troopers who surrounded Richard Simone, 50, as he surrendered after a car chase that hit 100 miles an hour, crossing two states, pummeling him with feet and fists. Have you seen this video? No. Poor guy. I mean, granted, he, uh, you know, running from cops 100 miles an hour through small towns and all that, but he gets out on the ground. Gets on his knees, uh, and they just, puts his hands on the ground, and then they just come up and just beat him up.
2: That's the problem. They're so amped up by the time you've been chasing a guy for 20 minutes. Like
4: right, The first guy gets a nice little haymaker on him, and I don't know. Uh. The incident was captured in a widely circulated aerial video and raised concerns about police brutality. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It'll do it every time.
4: On Thursday night, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg addressed the charges that his social network's trending topics feature suppressed conservative articles. In a Facebook post, Zuckerberg said that he and his staff take this report very seriously and are conducting a full investigation into the allegations published in the on the website Gizmodo, but that we have found no evidence that this report is true. He added that he wants to ensure that our platform stays as open as possible and towards that end, In the coming weeks, I'll also be inviting leading conservatives and people from across the political spectrum to talk with me about this and share their points of view. Hmm. There's going to be a summit. uh,
2: Everybody loves a summit. That's
4: how you fix big problems. You have a summit. That's a great idea.
2: We ought to have a summit on the show for the show.
4: Really? Figure out, figure out we have show meetings like every week. Can that be our yeah. summit? Yeah, they don't feel so somebody. Doctors say a 13-year-old South Korean girl removed the tracker from her watch band and popped it in her mouth while she went swimming. There's a brand of uh, what they call it here, the uh, did a Misfit Shine. It's a type of activity tracker. It has a little band, little metal disc that you pop into this little plastic band. She took the disc out, put it in her mouth, went swimming. She swallowed it. Oh, boy. Uh, so she swallows it the uh, subsequent x-ray showed that the device was in her stomach 30 hours later it still hadn't moved doctors feared the lithium battery could come out causing further issues so they decided to intervene and go in with surgery 72 minute procedure the doctors found that the device still worked oh, when, really? si- when synchronized to her mobile device the misfit shine which actually which accurately recorded her all adverse uh, advertised data points to include steps taken calories burned sleep cycles and maintained <laughs> accurate time doctors wrote the patient was sent
2: home the next day. See, but this is now going. Now we're going to have all these swallowable things we've been talking about. I have a story about that. I know, and it's going to figure. It's going to now check our colon on the way yeah. down.
4: But the, you you put a little device. It's inside a pill. Mm-hmm. You swallow it. It moves through your system, and when it comes out, they're able to look and see all these different issues what? of health in your digestive tract And that's all pretty kinds cool. Of stuff. I mean, what if you what could
2: keep, find a polyp by just swallowing this enormous horse pill? Yeah. I mean, that's but, cool. I mean, you could see people having concern about this, too. Oh, yeah, totally.
4: As you're you're swallowing electronic devices that are transmitting, possibly. Because there's another device they're working on that has, like, a Bluetooth connection. So you're getting live, like, bio updates as you it moves put through you. a camera you. on it. I mean, they do that with the uh, the fiber f- optics now. But you need yeah. a
2: light and a camera and then a little action. Bada At some boom, point, bada
4: bang. you could shrink the school
2: bus and they could go right in there.
4: Oh, that's a TV show. Okay. I always get those mixed
2: up. Yeah, that's not real. (laughs) Ant-Man does not. It's the magic school bus. You could could swallow the magic school bus. Oh, man. I worry about you. I worry about you. Hey, uh, half half of the teens, listen to this study. Unbelievable. And I guess we're not supposed to be worried, but uh, we should probably be worried. Apparently half, listen to this, Um, eight out of... uh, Hold on. I've got to get the numbers right. 50% of teens and 20% of parents feel that they are addicted to their mobile phones, Hmm. according to a new poll. 80% of teens check their phones hourly. 72% feel the need to respond immediately. So if 50% of your kids are telling you they're addicted to their cell phone, Hmm. you know that means 90% are. Right. This is crazy.
4: As they're underreporting. Right.
2: Now, my wife says I'm addicted
4: to my phone. I think she's wrong. You totally are. And I say, hold on a second. Let me check this. Okay, go ahead. No, and she continues to tell yeah. me I'm addicted.
2: No. I, no, I walked in the other day, and in the green room area, you were on the couch just talking to it. To
4: my phone? Yeah.
2: Well, was I on the phone? No. You just had it sitting on a pillow, and you oh. were talking to it. I
4: think you were talking to Siri. Mm. Yeah. We have long conversations, me and Siri.
2: Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Some people Siri doesn't like. Yeah, Siri doesn't work very well. Yeah, Siri doesn't seem to understand my lay, my drawl. You think they would uh fix that somehow, but Someday. Not to criticize. No, no, no. We're not against it. So, uh we are going to find an expert that can come on and talk about teenage addiction to smart technology.
4: This is you telling me to go
2: find somebody. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Pretty, glad you picked up on it okay uh they're also for some people that are internet addicted they now have boot camps you can go to or
4: deboot boot camps yeah unbooting camps yeah there'd be a better name there
2: yeah they need to get uh, detox that, <laughs> Deboot. is
4: deboot boot is in the closet
2: <laughs> that's german ben no no probably not how do you say boot in german
4: Boot, but it's yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, he just so it was German. He just said it. I just said it exactly don't, like that. And don't yeah, don't
4: criticize unless you need to. Yeah, the boot. It's actually not boot. How do you say boot? Stiefel. See, whatever. He just tries to say like schnoodle or something. And
2: have you ever heard him say farfignugen? No, he says it totally wrong. Say it back. He doesn't even say it right. It's not even close. I've
4: watched See, I've watched the commercials. No, that's not how they that's say not
2: it. Not it. Not even close. What else you got, Terry? So um, a
4: forthcoming book called The Confessions of Congressman X, Mm -hmm. purportedly written by a sitting and remembered to be Democratic congressman, promised to be an anonymous revelation of everything terrible you've always suspected about America's representatives in Washington.
2: Okay. Why do we want to watch this? It's a book. It's a tell-all book. Oh, but that'll turn into a
4: movie. It says, some choice quotes about Congress include, most of my colleagues are dishonest career politicians who revel in the power and special interest money that lives lavished upon them. Yeah, totally. My main job is to keep my job, to get reelected. It takes precedence over everything. Fundraising is so time-consuming, I seldom read any bills I vote on. Like many of my colleagues, I don't know how the legislation will be implemented or what it'll cost. I don't even know. But voters aren't spared his poison pen either. He says, the average man on the street actually thinks he influences how I vote. Unless it's a hot-button issue, his thoughts are generally meaningless. I politely listen, but then I follow the money. Oh, my heavens. He says, voters are incredibly ignorant and know little about our form of government and how it works. Which, you know. I Never offend really. the voter. It's far easier than you think to manipulate a, a national, a nation of naive, self-absorbed sheep who crave instant gratification. That is. So this book will be out soon. Con- Anonymous. Anonymous. Uh, congressman X is the name of it. Are you serious? It's a real congressman. <laughs> it's a real for book. Real. This isn't The Onion. This isn't some parody thing. This is a real book. That will be published in the next coming months. Holy cow. I want to let's get them on the show. I don't know if Congressman X will be doing many interviews. Yeah, probably not. Probably If he not. does, he'll have one of those voice scramblers. And that would be kind of difficult to conduct an interview through.
2: Well, okay. So let me prove that point out. And it's not just political followers that are easily manipulated in the rest of the sheepish population of the world. Did you hear about the high school art project that was mistakenly val- mistakenly valued at $50,000? No. We have to post it on our Twitter page because it is the ugliest thing you have ever seen. And it's a statue. And it was mistakenly valued at $50,000. PBS Antiques Roadshow posted a correction on its website after a recent episode valued. um, It was a clay jug. You know when you make your little clay (laughs) Ceram in ceramics cl- ceramics class in high school. So the student did it, made it. I guess put it away in their house somewhere years ago. Then somebody took it down to um, Antiques Roadshow for one of the great appraisals. Bada boom, bada bing. The next thing you know, it's worth fifty grand. Well, that's a great piece of work right there. We think that's
4: one <laughs> more early impressionists, and uh, we're going to say fifty grand. Yeah. So can you
2: imagine how disappointed you'd be when? You come back yeah. saying, We're gonna go sell this for fifty grand and your son's like, Dad, I made that in eighth grade. What? Get over here, boy. Yeah. So people are very gullible, I think. Everyone thinks they've got something of value, like some, you know, incredible painting hidden away in their attic. We don't even have an attic. I have a crawl space.
4: Do you? It's full of spiders. Go check for paintings. Could be. You never know. My suitcases are in there. I think there's a golf club or two. Hmm. That's where we found Ben. Really? In a crawl space? Mm-hmm.
5: In a dumpster in a crawl space.
2: It was a big crawl space. Yeah. Big, little dumpster, big crawl space.
5: I don't know why the dumpster was in the crawl space, but...
2: Yeah. I don't either. So weird. I don't even know what I was doing up there. <laughs> it was so, so Weird. Hey, we're going to take a break and come back, and guess what? We're going to be talking with some um, True Blue experts on Asian Chinese or Chinese philosophers and kind of that um, Zen movement that is taking over the world. Is there – what is there going on? What's going on? Why are we so into Buddha now? Why are we so into the, the theories of Zen Well, we're going to find out, folks. There's a lot of great lessons that uh, have been taught for many, 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 many years, and uh, two Harvard professors are going to teach us why. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, with thousands of years of civilization having passed in China, you know, there have been many, many, many lessons learned and a lot of insight on how life and how to live a, a more fulfilling life. So, how come it's taking on such a powerful push here in the United States and especially now? In fact, uh, one of the most popular classes taught at Harvard is taught by our next guest, um, Michael Pewitt, and uh, Professor Pewitt's course at Harvard. They're very popular. In fact, some wonderful articles have come out um, about these classes. And uh, Professor Pewitt and uh, journalist Christine Gross Lowe are um, joining us now to talk about their work and their book. They have a a, a book um, called The Good Life, and um or sorry, the path, what Chinese philosophers can teach us about the good life. And they're here today to walk us through their learnings and uh their lessons there. So we appreciate it. Again, Professor Pewitt and Christine Grosslow, thank you for being with us.
3: Oh it's not happy here.
2: Talk to us about uh Professor Pewitt, let's I guess start with you. What is what's the big push now? Why why are um the lessons of China and Asia, why are they becoming so popular in the West
3: today? I think there's a strong perception at the moment that we're hitting a crisis, that for many decades now we've been telling each generation to look within, try to find yourself, find your true self, and then live your life trying to be authentic and sincere to who you truly are. And that's the way to live your life on your own terms, to be who you were meant to be. And part of what I think people are finding now, especially with this current generation, is that a lot of these ideas are perhaps even restraining us, and the students are looking for other ideas, for hmm. different visions of how to grow as a human being, as opposed to simply being um, sort of restrained or even constrained to the vision of who they think they might be at age
2: 15, 20, <laughs> it's really true huh? they, they we have our kids trying to figure out who they are and is that I mean, are they are they on the right track or it seems like sometimes we, we teach that uh, Chinese culture and those philosophers would teach us more about, you know, isolation, maybe the Buddhist monk that sat up on top of the mountain in solitude. Um, to find oneself. but uh, talk to us Christine, about that is are we off in what these these philosophers taught or or what really did they teach?
0: I think that's I mean that's such a great example of a sort of Western romanticized and misunderstand you know a, a misunderstanding of what um, many Asian philosophies were about and it's also very telling that. Um, you know, someone meditating on a mountaintop by himself, that, that is the figure that we have um, taken to represent um, what Asian philosophy is about. Really, so many of these philosophies, especially the ones that we talk about in the past, are about, um, you know, engaging with the world, not retreating from it. And I think that the fact that, you know, that these are, that the isolated figure on the mountaintop is the sort of... Um, predominant image that we have of Asian philosophy is problematic and it also tells us a lot about what we in the West um, valorize Mm -hmm. and um, you know I think that this this is not in my opinion a very good thing I think that um, for us to teach that you need to sort of focus on yourself and retreat from the world and that it's all about you Is in part what has led to such a cultural crisis of values and, um, these ideas that talk about the fact that none of us is alone in the world, that we are always engaging with others, that we cultivate, when we cultivate ourselves, um, to be the best that we can be in relation to other people. I mean, that's not all that they were talking about, but that's a, you know, certainly a part that we do talk about in our book. Then I think that that is, um, that points the way toward a better society, a better world, and a better self as well.
2: Hmm. It's so true. You almost can see many of uh, many of us in the United States, we might love our own little mountain where we can go pontificate and yell all of our you know beliefs and philosophies. Um, but as we've been talking about so much on my show recently, in fact, even just last hour, our need to our need to also uh, understand the whole, and the bigger picture of that we are you know that we are in a relationship with everyone else in this world that's critical as well do you see is that professor pewitt is that why you have so many of the students there at harvard uh, clamoring to get in your class
3: I think that's absolutely the case. I think this is a generation that's been raised very much in the ideology that you've been mentioning. You know, everyone on their own mountain strive to be your best self and, and ignore the world around you. And I think the current generation is realizing it's an ideology that's failing them. Hmm. And exactly as you said, they were now realizing that, no, the way you can become a great human being is precisely through the relationships you build. And by building a flourishing world around one... One can flourish, but of course everyone else flourishes too. And it's really by the work we do building great relationships, building great worlds around us, that is really our, our life's goal. Mm.
2: It's so true. And it's it sadly, we seem to only know kind of the philosophers by their, you know, trite little phrases. They're not trite, but they're their their, their their, you know, perfect meme length phrase. But they didn't teach by just a sentence, right they didn't they teach How did they teach?
3: Yes, you're exactly right. I mean, we hear these little as you said meme like statements from a Confucius, and we hear a sentence here and a sentence there. but actually, what they really taught was about daily life, and what really intrigued them is the ways in just the very ways we interact with people on a daily basis and our very mundane activities. That's the place, they say, where either we can become stuck in, in patterns and ruts that hold us back, that hurt our relationships, or conversely, it's where we can grow as human beings, mm-hmm. building great relationships, working with those around us, slowly becoming over time and really training ourselves to become over time a wonderful human being in the sense of being able to actually respond to those around us and, and help everyone around us.
2: Ah and we need to we need to learn about it we need to get it out there. Christine, how did you uh meet Professor Pewitt? How did how did the journalist and the professor get together to start writing the book?
0: Oh, well, let's see. I um I actually did a doctorate at Harvard myself um years ago and it was in East Asian history. So, I knew of Professor Pewitt. We overlapped at Harvard. For a little bit, um, but then I went. I, I graduated. I decided not to go into academia, and um, but you know, as I became a freelancer, and as I um, you know, I was living in Cambridge, and I was hearing about this course at Harvard that was famous, um, that was growing and growing, and I reached out to um, Professor Pewitt and asked if I could fit in on the course, and then I decided to write an article about it um, that was in the Atlantic, and um, you know, that article got so much attention right away that we, um, we decided to write a book together to bring it out to a much wider audience.
2: That's great. So the book, The Path, What Chinese Philosophers Can Teach Us About the Good Life, is that the content from the classroom?
0: Well, it's content from the it's not it's definitely not all the content whatsoever yeah. um the, the course is is quite long and in fact the second half of the course focuses on um political theory and we um we focus in the book a little bit more on the first half of the course um which is um the, the entire course the official name is um chinese political and ethical theory so um you know we focus on the things that people can do in their everyday lives to become good human beings, um, and touch a little bit on some of the issues that come up in the rest of the course, but no, it would have been impossible. Um, there's just, you know, there there is, we, we would like to think of this book as a sort of supplement, but certainly not a replacement. Um, there's nothing like being in the course itself. Yeah, right. To really experience, the, you know, his Professor Pewitt's dynamic lecturing style and the teachings of these philosophers.
2: That's fantastic. I mean, really, this is, um, the, more and more, it seems like we are, we're wanting to kind of dive into, to the excellent professor on a campus in any location that has kind of mastered a certain subject and especially the way in teaching people. Uh, I, I mean, I, you gotta get it on film, Michael. Let's get going.
3: <laughs> let's get it out there, Actually, I would love to, yes I, I think getting these ideas out to as many people as possible is just so important. Oh. These ideas are extraordinary,
2: yeah, um, let's do this. I want to get into the ideas and and even maybe have you run through some of the the great misunderstandings that we have uh with with the Chinese philosophers um You've already talked about one. Let's take a break, come back, and continue the discussion, and you can just start walking us through some of your lessons. Start teaching us, and and both of you share with us uh, your your lessons, your learnings, and how it's impacted you. We'll be back, folks, with Dr. Michael Pewitt and uh, actually Dr. Christine Gross-Lowe as well. um, Two uh, wonderful uh, resources for all of us about the path, what Chinese philosophers can teach us about the good life. Stick with us, folks. Helping you see the good in the world, this is The Matt Townsend Show. To the Matt Townsend Show on the phone with us, Dr. Michael Hewitt uh, and uh, Dr. Christine Grosslow. I don't know that she wants to be called doctor yet or still, um, but uh, they're both on the line with us, and they're talking about their new book, "The Path: What Chinese Philosophers Can Teach Us About the Good Life." The origin of the material uh, obviously began thousands of years ago, um, back in China, but uh, is being taught in a class at Harvard by Dr. Michael Pewitt. And um, uh, Professor Pewitt is a very popular uh, professor there. He's also the Walter C. Klein Professor of Chinese History and the Chair of the Committee on the Study of Religion at Harvard. Christine Gross Lowe is a journalist, author of several books, and also received her Ph.D. from Harvard as well. Thank you both for being with us again. Oh, it's an honor. Thank you. Thanks. Teach us what we um, – it seems like, as I was reading the article in The Guardian – about forget mindfulness, stop trying to find yourself and start faking it. It seems like we really misunderstand um, a lot of the great uh, lessons of these philosophers like Confucius and and others. So teach us what are some of the things that we misunderstand but would be so advantageous if we could bring them into our lives here in the Western culture?
3: Absolutely. So just on the points you mentioned, we often will say to ourselves, well, my goal is to look within, find myself, be true to my myself, and that's the way I live my life on my terms. And often we think of Chinese philosophy, and Confucius in particular, as sort of the antithesis of this, someone who just says, well, do lots of rituals, and presumably in rituals we're trained how to behave in life. And we think this is a bad thing, because it it's, means we're learning from rituals how to be as opposed to looking within. So here's the intriguing thing. Confucius clearly do rituals, but his understanding of rituals is very different from our own. What he will say is, we as human beings are messy, and we tend to fall into kind of patterns and ruts with each other, where I will draw out negative um, emotions from those around me by doing things often that I'm not aware of, and they will do the same. And over time, these ruts can kind of harden which is why entire relationships can be defined for years, even decades, in these very negative emotions of angers and jealousies and resentments. Now, the reason Confucians say do rituals is rituals are designed to break you from that. And what you're doing in a ritual is, for a brief moment, you become a different person, relating to those around you in a different way, drawing out different emotions. And by doing that, you're slowly training yourself to break from these ruts that hold us back. Hmm. So the goal of rituals actually is to, to use one of Confucius' terms, to overcome the self, the self begin being again defined as these ruts, and slowly work on the process toward becoming a good, humane person.
2: Holy cow, because there's a lot of research on rituals in marriage as a tool yeah. to reunite and strengthen the marriage, probably because it takes us out of our selfish self. And into our kind of intentional selflessness.
3: That is precisely right. Precisely. That is we cool. To look down on rituals, but yes, it's, we have tons of evidence saying actually, it's the exact opposite. Rituals, as you said, break us from the lesser sides of ourselves and allow us to grow as human beings with those around us.
2: Yeah, and again, but we, I, I think that's it. We we think uh, he was getting into the ritual to just get more into himself. Exactly. But it's the opposite to
3: the opposite. He's it's breaking true, himself. Yes. Indeed. Perfectly put.
2: Is it not Perfectly about the, the word self word. then? Is it? I mean, it's interesting. Um, talk to me about that, Christine, because is that is are we not to find ourself in ourself?
0: Well, you know, I think that what I, um, when, when, when Michael was talking about, you know, thinking of ourselves as messy selves, not coherent, true selves. Yeah. There's a lot to this um, because, we are if you think about it, we are all different at every moment we um, we are different with one person different in this situation that situation different sides of ourselves come out different aspects of ourselves come out and um, it's you know the idea is that it's better to think of yourself as a messy self bumping up against um, other messy selves out there in the world because that is a better way to sort of work on yourself and your reactions, your mm. dispositions, rather than thinking of yourself as a true self, which, um, you know, once you define yourself that way, it's kind of like taking a, a snapshot of yourself at a moment in time, and that makes it really difficult to grow if you're you're defining and labeling yourself as, you know, a hothead, or I'm the jealous type, or, you know, I, I'm a hard worker, etc. I mean, all these things are true in one Moment of our lives, but it doesn't have to be what defines us as a whole.
2: Hmm. No, and you can totally see that. I mean, this idea that um, you almost need to be bumping into people, messy self after messy self, but then I guess yeah. if you could fall back into your rituals, then um, yeah. then you might, I guess, learn uh, how to handle those. Right? You can
0: work. You can work on your reactions. Your um, you know, and and sort of. Keep cultivating yourself so that eventually your best self, your best, you know, your best reaction is what comes forward, not the sort of, I mean, if we were always acting according to our base feelings, our first reaction, you know, the world would be a very unpleasant place. And indeed, many people do react um, sort of spontaneously from just how they think they feel in the moment.
2: Yeah. I mean, some people do that and they even run for president. (laughs) Hypothetically. Um, Talk about, about so is that what is meant by authentic self is when you are more aligned to your virtuous side, I guess your healthier you, your higher purpose.
3: Yeah, I mean they would say think of the self as what we're building over the course of a lifetime. So it's not what you happen to be at a current moment. As Christine said, it's not the sort of thing where you can say, oh, I just I'm the sort of person who has a bad temper who does X, y, and Z, but that's just me, and I should love myself for who I am. On the contrary, they would say, no, 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 you build a self over a lifetime. and you build a self either badly by falling into these ruts and not growing. Or you build a great self by growing through these relationships, training yourself to sense how you can help those around you, how to care for those around you. And over time, you become, if you through this training, A person who's incredibly well, sort of, just incredibly good at sensing people around you, working to help those around you. And that's a self you're creating over time. Mm.
2: And you're, I guess, allowing that allows you to forgive yourself because when you're blowing it and you've just messed it up, okay, just turn back and continue your progress.
3: Absolutely. I mean, the view is this is a lifelong process. Hmm. that's never ending. We're just getting ever better at doing it. And therefore, as you said, we're failing constantly, (laughs) constantly. And yet the failure is part of what you're doing. If you're not striving to push yourself out of these ruts and grow, you won't fail, but then you'll become complacent and dangerously unable to work with those around you. If you're trying to grow, you'll fail constantly. But as you said, through those failures, you'll continue to grow as a human being. Hmm.
2: What about all of these? And I maybe it was just even racist. I don't know. But uh, examples where, you know, somebody would go to the master, the Zen master, and the Zen master would not teach them because they weren't ready to learn. Um, um, I don't know. I always think of Kung Fu that I watched growing up, and the guy was not ready, but he, I don't know. But <laughs> Where did – where's the idea? Because to me, this teaches some pretty powerful principles of discipline. But is that part really of uh, Chinese philosophy?
3: It's a great question. And you're right. This is one of our big stereotypes. Yeah. And it's very much the opposite. The okay. is all of us are equally messy creatures at birth, <laughs> um, right. and therefore in danger of falling into these ruts, which are our, our huge danger as human beings, and then become complacent in those ruts, but equally capable of growing as human beings. And one of the things they're deeply committed to is this is equally true of all of us. We're equally messy creatures, equally filled with dangers, but equally filled with great potential.
2: So we don't have to play, which is weird, because in the United States we talk more about start from your strength. But you keep mentioning our messiness, so kind of start from your messiness.
3: Yes, I mean we think this is, of course, a great way to get ahead. Play to your strengths, recognize your weaknesses, but then avoid things that that your weaknesses would hold you back in, and focus on the things that you're really good at doing. Now, of course, they would say the exact opposite: the things you think you're good at doing. It may, in fact, be something you've become good at doing, but those are just certain patterns you've fallen into, and by the same token, things you think you're bad at doing are, again, simply patterns and ruts you've fallen into. So they would say intentionally train yourself across the board, but therefore very much including what you think you're bad at. Actually, that precisely is the area where you could actually open up things you would not even be able to imagine.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Uh, Christine, talk about mindfulness, because... It seems like the uh, everybody today is talking about Mm -hmm. mindfulness, and and yet I guess Chinese philosophers weren't necessarily about mindfulness.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting. I think that the one overlapping sort of concept would be that of sort of being attentive to what you are doing, or what I mean, in mindfulness, it's what you're feeling and observing. You know, observing your feelings, Um, but. I think that what makes this more dynamic and engaged than that, which um, the the current definition of mindfulness as it is in in our culture and you know and as it is popularized, um, I think can lead people to the danger of complacency and lack of engagement, of acceptance, of accepting all their feelings as being okay, of accepting everything as being okay, and sort of using mindfulness as a tool to come to a place of peace. Um, and you know, there's, there's some merit in this as long as it doesn't make you too complacent too accepting to the point where you don't want to cultivate yourself. You don't want to grow and you don't want to engage. And so the philosophers that we talk about in our book really have very practical, doable, um, you know, lessons about how to engage with the world in every moment and at every moment you can, um, Work on becoming a better person who will make the world a better place, um, hmm. starting with people around you.
2: Yeah, it's, um, it, it just seems like this theme of experiencing, learning as you go, changing, growing, like with a demand to grow, right? I mean, it sounds mm-hmm. like there, there's not just don't just float through life. I mean, <laughs> become a change agent and start mm-hmm. with yourself and then work with other people to create growth. Right, powerful. Exactly. What um is and we'll we'll give you both a chance to do it. What what stands out for you, Michael? Um, what is one of your favorite lessons? The lesson too that you feel like you most bring home to your your family, your life, your personal life. What what lessons are most you know into your heart?
3: Without question, I would say the notion that in practice we are capable of becoming such extraordinarily better human beings than we think and that's fine to say in the abstract but what's really powerful is when you start doing what they're advocating these little rituals in which we're training ourselves to become better it is amazing how quickly you begin experiencing the world differently opening up your perspectives, um, becoming more able to work with people develop better relationships and it's something that works incredibly well in practice and I found it incredibly moving. It's such a push against so many of our assumptions about the self and so many of our assumptions about just accepting yourself for who you are. And you realize very quickly in practice that, no, no, we are capable of being so much more than we think we are capable
2: of. Yeah. And it's, I guess, too, it's so, it's spiritual, yet intuitive. It was so intuitive they, they just discerned it. They were, I mean, I'm sure, highly, highly, highly gifted people. But... um, they also just intuited the the change that needed to be there and keep it simple.
3: Yes. I think part of what's powerful about it is I tell my students is we often do little bits of what they're talking about. So we kind of intuitively get what they're talking about. We just don't do it very well because we're so committed to this view that, oh, I just am who I am and I right. love myself for who I am. And when, on the contrary, you really start doing what they're advocating. In other words, more of the little things we kind of know but just don't really do. But if you really do them, you realize that, that their vision of the self is not only much more powerful than our own, um, they're really onto something profound.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, Christine, what was your biggest lesson? What stands out most for you personally?
0: Well, um, so I have four children, um, four children ranging in age from six to fifteen, and um, I think that what what really hit home for me was the idea of you know we there is this mantra of self acceptance and then playing to your strengths and teaching your children to sort of figure out who they are and what they're going to be able to do best in life and. And I think that this really sort of turned all of that on its head for me. And um, now when I talk to them and what I try to teach them is to not think about who they are, but to, to choose to do things precisely because it's not them, mm. precisely because it doesn't fit their image of who they are. Because I think that when they, you know, when they do that, that offers more opportunity from breaking from the self, overcoming the self, as um, Confucius said, and and then growing from there. Mm.
2: That's that's. It's so counterintuitive, isn't it? But do uh-huh, because exactly. we want to probably protect our egoic self and instead uh-huh. this helps to break it. Well, beautiful. Uh-huh. Uh wonderful stuff. And so I'm assuming that the book The Path, what Chinese philosophers can teach us about the good life, is that a great place for just us lay folk to start?
0: Absolutely. Yes. No, I we we try to pick the very best of everything that has inspired Michael's students, it's inspired him and myself and and write them up in the book. So I, I do think it's a great place to
2: start. Beautiful. Well, I highly suggest it. Um, Dr. Michael Pewitt, uh, Dr. Christine Grosslow. Thank you both so much for spending this thank time you. with us. It's been thank such an honor. Thank you. You so bet. Much. And beautiful lessons for all of us to see the good in the world. And remember that light and goodness is everywhere, folks. It's everywhere. It's been in every culture. It's somewhere there in the hearts and the minds of all people. That's what we want everyone to remember. Go check out the book, the book The Path: What Chinese Philosophers Can Teach Us About the Good Life. We'll take a break, come back, and uh, we're going to track down one of our producers who is in Cape Cod somewhere running a Ragnar race. We'll explain what that is coming up. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, This just in, uh, in Cape Cod, you may be wondering what's going on. Why are there people uh, running all over your little, uh, what do we call that, a peninsula? Here's the problem. Because there's a Ragnar race there, folks. And so you're going to have vans decorated in all sorts of uh, weird ways with a lot of sleepy runners inside and we happen to just have one of our producers, uh, Kaylee Danes, also known as Kim Shee or Kamehameha Danes, uh, is one of the runners for a Ragnar team. And we wanted to check in with her and see if she's still alive. Kaylee, are you there? I am. How, how are you? Now, is it, let me get this straight. You're actually not running. You were just asked to drive the van. Is that correct?
9: <laughs> I am running. I haven't done any yet, but I will
2: be. You, you have yet to run?
9: Yeah, my first leg probably won't be until like 5 p.m.
2: tonight. (laughs) Really? Okay, so let's get this straight. The Ragnar race, Ragnar is a brand of of races, and they hold them around the country where there's about, I think you guys are going to run about 192 miles total. Yep. With about 12 members of your team, and you just keep rotating through the different runners. Is that right?
9: Yep, we have two vans and half the team in one, half in the other, and we're just like... Kind of leapfrogging with vans and runners and exchanging and
6: yeah. Now, Kaylee,
2: do they know that you don't run?
9: <laughs> they think I run. I'm fooling them all.
2: Yeah, it looks yeah. like as I look this up, it, you um, you're going to be running the eighth leg. Yep. What leg are they on right now?
9: I'm um, I'm not sure. They're probably on like runner three. I'm not sure.
2: Okay, just not to create pressure for to you. The first yeah, you may want to pay attention to that.
9: I <laughs> it gets closer to okay. my leg, I'll start paying attention. The and fan f- hasn't finished yet.
2: Okay, so. okay. Your first run will be 4.86 miles. It's a moderate yeah. run. Your second run will be 5.57 miles. And then your yeah. third run, if you actually make it that long, <laughs> it will be 2.3 miles. Piece of cake. Piece of cake why yeah,
9: that last one.
2: there's one question we all have um back here at the base why why are you doing this why do 12 people gather to go run 192 miles
9: it's just fun the adrenaline and um i don't know my brother-in-law asked me to do it and we're doing it with a bunch of our friends just for fun it'll be a great story to tell you one day yeah, total
7: lightweight. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Very stupid.
6: You can't be just boom boom. Total control. Donald bing,
2: Trump bing, likes bong, it a lot. Bong,
6: bing, bing, bing. You know what that is? Right? You know the
2: Um middle- Kaylee, are you still there? I'm here. Here's a question for you. How come some of the people on the team have to run like 23 miles <laughs> and you get to run 12, 13 miles? Um Doesn't seem fair.
9: <laughs> they're probably a lot better runners than I am. I'm not running the least amount though I know that I'm right in the middle
2: yeah did they know that yeah. you're going to be running with oxygen
9: <laughs> uh, no I also haven't told them I have a stomach ulcer so we're going to keep that on the down low <laughs> Make sure
2: that yeah. I well it sounds like fun so you just drive around in the van following and then um, yep and What's then the
9: team? we have an awesome team name it's Snape Cod for Harry Potter lovers out there
2: oh Snape yeah. Snape. So
9: uh, running Cape Cod, so our team name's called Snape Cod. We have Snape Cod. face on it.
2: Yeah. Wow.
9: Yeah,
2: great. So it's fun. You decorate your van, you hang out, mm-hmm. and you just laugh a lot.
9: And we try and get in like an hour of sleep.
2: Man, I really day. wanted to I really I wanted to be able to talk to you while you were running. So
9: I know that would have been great. I'll leave you a voicemail tonight. Yeah,
2: yeah do that at three AM. Yeah, my wife will be like, Who's this woman breathing all heavy? Anyway, <laughs> Well, Kaylee, we wish you the best of luck. we got to go, but uh, knock him dead and, you know, be careful. Wear your reflective you. gear. Good yes. stuff. Kaylee Danes running for snake cod. It's kind of scary. <laughs> Fun stuff. We'll take a break, my friends. Come back next hour. We'll be doing a little movie review. We'll also be visiting our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, helping you see the good in the world. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: The Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide
6: on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show. Call the
0: show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend.
10: Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
2: Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. It really has been a great morning. If you did not hear our first two hours, you're going to want to go back because had some serious scholars on. I had worries about today. Our first guest, way, way heady, but really important lesson about being, you're an independent person in this country, but you have to operate interdependently. You got to figure out how to play and work well with others.
4: The whole all for one and one for all. Yeah, but it usually it
2: just sounds more like all for one. Yeah, and we kind of stop right there. <laughs> yeah. She's talking more about the one for all concept. And Yeah, and then Dr. Pewitt uh, and Christine Gross-Lowe from Harvard talking about um, what you can learn from Chinese philosophers. That was really cool as well. We seem to have completely misinterpreted yeah. the Chinese philosophers. Well, you know, yeah. We, we missed – we we really perverted in a way – their incredible lessons. We 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 latched onto a stereotype. Yeah. And uh and it's the you know it's kind of the monk at the top of the mountain and you have to climb the mountain to get to the monk. But apparently nothing could be less true of the of Chinese or and Asian philosophies than the idea of somebody being alone like that. They're really more about being with people, interacting, learning as you go, because people are messy. And you need to be with the messy people to figure out your own messiness. Again, hmm. which is why we hired Ben.
4: He helps us figure out the mess.
2: You're welcome. And he, <laughs> he, makes, he makes half of the mess, and then he helps us figure out our mess. Ben, we love you. He's kind of a delayed applause
4: it's like been, really the audience was unsure what their role in this was yeah. supposed to be at that moment it's they're like, like do look, we clap do we
5: not what's good? I, I it took a little bit of time for me to like no, this line up. it's
4: but. it's like state of, U- of the union and the president delivers kind of a a, a shaky uh, w- like whatever a statement, a his statement yeah. wasn't quite worded correctly and so his applause line didn't uh, quite hit uh, and so they're like oh do we clap for this i no, no hold on oh, that was what that was <laughs> good job ben you so you, them.
5: you're putting me on the level of the president.
4: Well, in the fact that you messed up an applause line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Sorry, um, that's
5: just my messiness.
2: See, there we go. We've also got the news to do. We're going to talk today with Rod Gustafson about uh, the movie Money Monster that is coming out. And, uh, you know, that's got – what's his bucket in it? What's his bucket? The big dude, Clooney. Clooney. And it's, it's kind of struggling maybe. He
4: says he will not allow Trump. To be elected to the White House. Well, according to the,
2: you know, maybe this movie might make it harder for him to stop Trump. We'll see. We'll find out. We'll get the critique on that from Rod Gustafson, also going to visit with our good buddies up at BYU Sports Nation, actually downstairs at BYU Sports Nation. Find out uh, what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour and, of course, the headlines. So let's get straight to the headlines with Terry South. What's going on around the country, Terry?
4: Thanks, Matt. As we talked about earlier, Paul Ryan met with Donald Trump. Everyone seems to have survived. They all went out and got into their black SUVs and sped away quickly. But uh, my my favorite part of yesterday was listening to all all the news experts talk about what happened in that meeting. Except nobody knows what happened in that meeting because no one has said what's happened in that meeting, but they all had
2: something to say about what happened in that meeting. It was a good meeting. It was a great meeting. We're getting closer to someday possibly being able to unite, and I'm going to back him. So nothing's changed. Right. They've now talked for 45 minutes, which is
4: 45 minutes more than they talked before. Right. Also, Senator Lindsey Graham did say on Thursday he had a cordial, pleasant phone conversation with the presumptive Republican nominee on Wednesday. The pair spoke for 15 minutes, discussed national security issues, Graham said, and he gave Trump his assessment about where we stand in the fight against ISIS and the long-term danger possessed by the Iranian nuclear deal. He asked, good questions, Graham, has long said that, we will, he will never endorse his formal rival, and he clarified that just because they spoke that he hasn't changed his mind on that point. And he's probably still kind of bent because Trump gave out a cell phone number and he had to go get a new phone. <laughs> if you remember that, that happened a year ago. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, we talked about that one. We talked about the uh, police officers that are being suspended because of the car chase and they beat up the guy driving the car. You watch that video it's kind of fun yeah sounds like great. uh the secret service is investigating trump's racist butler essentially uh, apparently he wrote a bunch of stuff on facebook he uh he uh, says that obama should be hanged for treason the, the secret service looking into that because it's a federal crime to put any sort of threat against the sitting president so they look into those uh, he doesn't have a high opinion of hillary clinton i can't really share what he wrote because wow. of Context, But, uh, yeah, he doesn't really have that great of an opinion. He believes that Ferguson, Missouri should be carpet bombed. His Facebook page also shows support for Confederate imagery. He called on his boss to arrest Beyonce and Jay-Z for providing material support for terrorism. (laughs) And, yeah, so, yeah, Secret Service looking into that guy. Wow. (laughs) Really? Yeah.
2: I wonder why. I don't know.
4: It's weird.
5: I can't figure it out. He seems like such a nice guy.
4: Anyway, and Donald Trump. Dad? His campaign said they totally and completely disavow the horrible statements made by uh, this. I don't Good. know if it's his current butler or former, but he does work or is acquainted with the Trump people. <laughs> it's really kind of interesting that way. Um, another story. Yeah. I'm trying to see here. Qantas Airlines. Yes, they had a Wi-Fi hotspot on their airplane. Mm-hmm. It was named "Mobile Detonation Device." Ah, uh, perfect. People were a little concerned.
2: Uh, excuse me, I can't get on the Mobile Detonation. I'm, device. I'm
4: looking for the Wi-Fi, and I see Mobile Detonation Device. Should we be concerned? <laughs> so they had to. Uh, they had to deal with that one. That wasn't. <laughs> Oops! You use Netflix. Lots yes, of people use Netflix. Day, how every many? Day. How many hours of commercials does Netflix save you? Ten million. 10 million? I guess it depends on how much you use Netflix. It does. Uh, So it says, your days, shorter they are, that you try to fit fit in work, chores, binge-watching all 144 episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I I have watched Uh, the whole series once. Are you serious? That's a great series. For who? For those watching. Everyone involved. It sounds like horrible. It sounds like root canal. It's really good. They develop characters. They have all kinds of fun. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's one of those shows you need to watch. You'll Nerd! save the director's the guy that, that directed the first Avengers movie, uh-huh. Josh Whedon. Alert Nerds. Cool. Here You'll save go. quite a bit of time by watching all your shows on Netflix rather than cable TV, Absolutely. according to numbers crunched from a study from cordcutting.com. Yes. It concludes that commercial free streaming services can spare you from exposure to up to 160 hours of advertisements a year. How many? 160 hours. Wow. That's how much TV you watch. But but. then how do you know where to shop? You can make that choice for yourself and not be manipulated into picking something that you may or may not have
2: wanted. Well, I don't know if I could do it if I'm not manipulated.
4: Yeah. So it says, uh, let's see, they, they, they use user data from Netflix, 75 million subscribers, and did the math based on CEO Reed Hastings' assertion that those people stream 125 million hours of content every day. Hmm. That works out to about one and two third hours per person. Next, the data Nielsen, uh, the the CEO gives uh, a figure for the amount of commercial time is an hour of cable TV around fit for. So basically, for every hour, there's about 15 minutes of commercials.
2: Okay, wow.
4: And so they work it all back to That's 160
2: good. hours. That's so, great. They're saving a lot of time. They're saving time. They're helping you, Matt. Hey, um, I appreciate it. Yeah. I, I, I would like to give everybody a quiz. Oh boy! So if everybody would please take out a pen or a piece and a piece of paper, and if you're driving, just do this in your head. I will ask you four questions. They're very simple questions. Just answer the questions as quickly as you can. Are you sharpening your pencil? Yeah. Okay. Wow. You got it sharp now. Okay. So um, I will ask you four questions. I need you to write down, if you can, you two especially, write down your answers. And those that are driving, just think of your answers, okay? Four questions. Are you ready? What is one plus four? Don't answer it out loud. What is one plus four? Write down your answer. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, a little uh, quiz music. One All plus of a sudden, four. four. What is Five plus two. Okay. Uh, what is seven? Take away three. What is seven? Take away three And name a vegetable Name a vegetable Name a vegetable and write it down Done Okay And uh, for all of you out there in listener land Hope you also chose a vegetable Now what I'd like to know Is the name of your vegetable Ben Eggplant (laughs) Okay (laughs) This is going to explain a lot And you, Terry. Carrot. Carrot. When I did this activity, I, too, chose a carrot, as I'm sure 90% of you in listener land did. Because the 90% of the time, if I ask those four questions, your answer for your vegetable will be a carrot. Why? 90% of the time, except for eggplant eggplant boy. (laughs) Eggplant boy. You are – that is why you're the anomaly, 10%. Here's why. Um, It turns out that uh, 90% of the people say carrot, right? But here's why. It has something to do with the way your brain stores and categorizes information. Obviously, there are lots of other vegetables people could choose from, like an eggplant. If that's even – is that a vegetable? Yeah. Uh, You might
4: want to look that up. In my head, I went – Cucumber, lettuce, and uh-huh. then settled on carrot. I, for I, some I did reason. the exact same thing. Why? And I
2: settled right in on it. Listen, probably uh, it's it's not even that you like it more. No. Um, but you, when you're suddenly asked to switch from doing a math problem to thinking about vegetables, your brain goes for whatever reason to the prototype vegetable. Okay. The prototype vegetable is a carrot. That's what is the
4: stereotype that for That is like if, you're, if your
2: brain is going to save an image for a vegetable, the vegetable saved would usually be a carrot 90% of the time. Huh. We call that for all the normal folk. Yeah. 90% so, of the time you'll choose the carrot. I'm normal. You're absolutely normal. Nice. Now, Ben, mm. you chose eggplant.
5: What does that say
2: about me? It shows that you're not developmentally there yet. Wow. In which ways? Not a lot of ways. I'd like to also see the numbers that you answered (laughs) to see if you actually got the math right. Um, It doesn't say anything. It just says that for some odd reason, your brain, when you switched from the numbers to the vegetable area, your brain – somehow either stores an eggplant as the prototypical – did you have a lot of eggplant growing up? No, I don't think I've ever eaten it. It's kind of mushy. Were you ever – did you ever have a traumatic event where somebody beat the crud out of you with an eggplant? (laughs) Did you get pummeled about the head and shoulder with an eggplant?
5: Yeah, well – yeah, I think there was this time when I was like- He's making
4: it up, you yeah, can tell. 12 can tell. years old. Because he's slowing down. Yeah, he's got tells. So he had to think about it. Yeah.
2: <clears throat> okay, so I don't believe that. Okay, well, um, hmm. what this might just mean, Ben, is- I mean, I think honestly, I'll be throwing these quizzes at you a lot over the next few weeks. We, we need to know. Yeah, well, HR says by law, we have to figure it oh, out. Oh, okay. Okay, it's up to us. Well, somebody's got to do it, and they say they're really busy. Okay. You they go the whole unbiased third party, but that's why. Well, but they also said he is our problem. Oh, okay. I don't know if they meant by
4: that. Someone said, yes, you can work here. So
2: Ben's prototypical vegetable is an eggplant. Hmm. That's crazy. I
5: think that just means that I'm original.
2: Mm. No. It really might mean your brain processes faster. Yep. Or maybe you never moved in your brain at all.
5: No, I think my brain
2: processes faster. It might. It yeah. might. You're kind of biased, by the way. If the rest of you out there said carrot, then guess what? Good job. You're you're normal like you're us. Just, you're just normal. <laughs> anyway, fun test. By the way, that comes to us from the website um, bustle.com. Don't know what that means. Yeah. Hmm.
4: Always got to be careful. That's interesting stuff, though.
2: Crazy, yeah. By the way, it is also blame someone else day. Love this day. My favorite day. I tend to always blame
4: somebody else. I mean, it's easier. Yeah, yeah. I mean, why take responsibility?
5: I feel like I'm the one that gets the blame.
4: Nope. You're not. I blame you for that wrong answer. Yep.
5: Accurate.
2: Okay. Any other questions, man? Um, no. Okay. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we will be visiting with uh, Rod Gustafson from parentpreviews.com, reviewing the movie Money Monster... Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back.
6: Our great-grandmothers preserved and prepared for difficult times they knew would come. Shouldn't we prepare, too? Harvest Right has invented a product that can help. It's a home freeze dryer. Imagine a complete freeze-dried turkey dinner. Turkey, stuffing, potatoes, gravy, veggies, and even pie and ice cream that in 25 years will taste as fresh as the day it was first cooked. Now you can freeze-dry the food your family loves to eat. Learn more at HarvestRight.com. Again, that's HarvestRight.com.
5: I'm attorney Chris Dexter from Dexter Law. Some people believe that they only need a lawyer when they're in trouble. At Dexter Law, we provide services for life's challenges and opportunities, such as adopting a child or starting a business. We provide a variety of legal services and are passionate about supporting Cougar Sports on BYU TV. Learn more at DexterLaw.com and go Cougars!
11: Welcome to the Wheatley Minute, featuring ideas that sustain core institutions, presented by the Wheatley Institution at BYU. Here is President Matthew Holland of Utah Valley University. In one of the earliest speeches of his career, Lincoln argues that all political
5: and moral reform ought to be predicated on true benevolence and charity. The purely rational concept of charity underpinning his early addresses appears quite different than the theistic version that crowns the civil religion of his later presidential rhetoric. When Joshua Speed comes to the White House, he happened upon Lincoln intently reading the Bible. Speed announced himself by saying, Well, if you have recovered from your skepticism, I am sorry to say I have not. Lincoln soberly replied, You are wrong, Speed. Take all of this book upon reason that you can
11: and the balance on faith, and you will live and die a happier man. To listen to the full lecture or to learn more about the work of the Wheatley Institution, go to wheatley.byu.edu. And listen to the Wheatley Forum addresses Wednesdays at 6 a.m. Eastern here on BYU Radio.
2: Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, you know, one of my uh, favorite times of the week is when we get to go talk to Rod Gustafson to find out about the upcoming uh, movies that are being released. Um, Money Monster was, uh, I think, it's coming out this weekend. And uh, Rod Gustafson, again, with parentpreviews.com. He's a film critic specializing in reviewing movies and media from a parent's perspective and uh, he'll go through the movie, figure out, you know, what you need to watch out for if you're taking your kids or if you're going to, if your kids are going to try to go to these movies. Today's movie is a little different than you normally do, Rod. This is an R-rated movie.
11: Yeah, that's because there is nothing else to go see, Matt. There's not
2: sad? What's going on?
11: Yeah, I know. We get occasional weeks like this. But I, you know, this R-rated movie, first of all, it takes place in the broadcast world. And and that's my life. I've been in broadcasting since I've been 15 years old. And so I'm a sucker for movies that take place in television stations and in in broadcast scenarios. Uh, So that part of it was interesting to me. But I also, there's a bit of a there's a bit of a media literacy angle to this movie that, unfortunately, the the creators of the film didn't really explore. But it's kind of an interesting film mm. to look at. Is it who's now who's in it? This is George Clooney. This is George Clooney, Julia Roberts, uh, Jack O'Connell, another actor that is uh, fairly well known in television circles. And uh, this movie is called Money Monster. And what the setup is is George Clooney plays a host of a financial uh, television show, but when I say a financial television show, what it really is, it's, it's one of these infotainment shows where he actually, this he plays this host who, he opens the show by doing a dance in all these cheesy costumes with dancing girls, and he's got all of these weird props and whatnot that he uses, and so it's a very... Um, A kind of a satirical look at the financial world and whatnot within the, within the concept of this television show, because really this is a movie about a TV show within a movie. And, uh, so, so this, this show, this television show kind of represents what is happening in journalism today, where we have a lot of this infotainment where we are dealing with serious topics, and yet we're packaging them in an entertaining package, and right. that's what's happening here.
2: And um, and then there's a takeover of some sort? There is. So what happens is a couple of months prior to
11: the movie taking place, which is taking place in real time, which I'll talk about in a moment. A couple of months earlier, uh, Clooney's character gave a glowing recommendation for a stock. Well, since then, the stock has mysteriously just plummeted in price to about 10% of its original value. So one of his viewers invested heavily, and he's very upset about this. So he comes to the studio with a gun and with a a vest that is covered in in explosives and breaks into the studio just as as Clooney's character is starting a show and holds him at gunpoint, demands that he puts his vest on, and he wants answers. He wants to know where his money, and it turns out $800 million worth of of value went in this stock and he's demanding that the, he's holding Clooney responsible for this that is that's a cool premise it is it is a very interesting premise and there's there's a lot of neat things that that the concept <laughs> i keep on saying should have done could have done because that's part of the problem it it doesn't really explore some of these things well enough i mean one of the things it is trying to do is there there is an element of what happened to investigative journalism because um it, within the within the context of this show this host is constantly giving recommendations and whatnot based on gut feeling, Ah. based on public relations memos that come into the inbox, you know, those media releases that you and I both get inboxes full of. And so they really are not doing their homework here. And then the other thing it's looking at is the ethics of the financial industry and what's happened to business ethics in the world. And so it kind of explores those two topics a little, but unfortunately it really gets caught up in a lot of grandstand with with uh, Clooney's performance and then Julia Roberts plays his producer, so she's on the other side of the control room wall and uh, Clooney's wearing a little earpiece and she can talk to him uh, but the gunman does not know that they've got this communication going on, so so that part of it's pretty neat too. So, But you know the real problem with the movie, Matt, is once again they take this concept, which I think could be really exciting for older teens, they put it into an R-rated movie and yeah. we've got Lots of sexual expletives in this film. And that's that's really going to be the big reason why very few families are going to want to consider sharing this movie with their teens and maybe even for many adults, uh, you know, they're going to be turned off by it.
2: Well, and gratuitous, I guess, because you didn't even need I mean, they're in a newsroom, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, you know, I've I've
11: worked in broadcasting and, yeah, I don't know that broadcasting is much different than many other industries where we were talking about profanity just a few weeks back where we have a lot of profanity in the workplace. But when you get it into a movie like this, I find that it really is gratuitous and, and unnecessary. I think it's there to try and, first of all, reinforce to the audience that this is a crisis situation. Well, you know what? We get that. The guy's got a gun and an explosive vest, so we know it's a crisis situation. (laughs) And then the other thing it does, too, sometimes, and I, I talked about this when we talked about the use of profanity a couple of months back, where it's almost a prideful thing where... By using these words, the characters seem to exude a sense of control that perhaps the screenwriters would have felt like maybe we wouldn't have been convinced that they were in control if they didn't use these words. But I I
2: think you can do that through acting methods and many other ways. Oh, totally. I totally agree. And um, again, maybe it'll cost them, right? If 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 my kids can't go see it now because of that, then...
11: Yeah. And then hopefully yeah.
2: they'll learn the lesson. And again, what grade did you give that, that one? Oh, right? c-, c grade on this one. Okay.
11: Again, you know, the concept tries hard and, uh, the, the area I wish they would have gone into is the culpability of the media itself yeah. because, you know, we, we, as we work in media, we sometimes forget our responsibilities that we have, our ethical responsibilities for our audience. And I think that's happening more and more. And I wish they would have looked into that a little yeah. bit more. I love that so the opportunities in this one
2: well again you, you provide a great service um, rod there and we appreciate you the the movie money monster they can go find it at your website right rod ParentPreviews.com. you'll have the whole review or the whole preview you'll you'll have a kind of a, a, a talking points that you can walk through with your kids and family if you want to do that it's all there ready to go you did it again rod thanks so much thank you Matt have a great weekend you too we're going to take a break, my friends. Come back, uh, be visiting with our producers, and um, talk about, uh, you know, all things about the show. you got to stick with us, folks. This is going to be an interesting segment, as always, when uh, Matt meets the producers. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. to the Matt Townsend Show. Holy cow, what a great blessing to have our producers on the show today. Again, this is the Meet the Producer segment, which we continuously just discuss in our meetings about you know terminating this segment, just because it doesn't seem to go like we planned it. But we're convinced that today it will. Uh, the reason being because David Boyle is here. Um, one of the internet sensations, a lot of people are searching boils and um, they'll look those up on the internet. And Kaylee um, Danes wow. is here. Also, by the way, the the maker of the gluten-free cake. That the we, inventor? That and that got me
12: a proper pronunciation of my name after that a year is, and a half.
2: Yeah. yeah. Wow. Thanks, Kim. Um, okay. It really Short-lived. is. She made the best cake ever for me for my birthday and we just-
12: Employee of the year
2: yeah I yeah. am, and uh, I've also had my birthday at the same time, and she made a beautiful cake, all gluten- free, sugar-free, mm-hmm. fructose-free, sucrose-free, and free from anything but full of flavor.
12: Yeah, I like to insert my dominance through you know my food dislikes
2: which which is which is the exact same thing that you said on Snapchat.
10: Yes <laughs>
12: and a lot
2: of people don't know what Snapchat is. Um, so you don't <laughs> I, I know a lot. It's, it's the it's the social media form that you don't want your little kids using because <laughs> you can take a picture of something and it disappears in mm-hmm. six seconds. Yeah there's no need for things to disappear unless you're trying to hide something. So you're here today to talk to me to teach me about Snapchat.
12: Exactly. Teach! Okay, well, this all sort of happened because... Some Snapchat wars in the office have taken place. Yeah, um, it started. I'm a
13: victim. Oh, and <laughs> I'm a survivor.
12: <laughs> well, it all started. Um, I went to the dentist last week, and mm-hmm. another producer from a different show was taking videos of me coming off of the With the your numbing. Lip. Yeah, you're And not working. I got upset about that, and mm-hmm. so I retaliated. And then I saw David watching Arthur on YouTube. It's
2: yeah, a child show, Arthur, which I thought yeah. was
12: so comical. And so I took you're- a Snapchat video. And What's I posted it? it on my story, and we're not friends on Snapchat, but we are now. And the next day, we're sitting in our big staff meeting, and Terry leans over to David and is like, look at this. Someone's watching Arthur at work. And he's like, that's me, Kaylee. Yeah. And so a war Why were seen... you
2: watching Arthur?
13: So that's a great question, <laughs> uh, Dr. Matt <laughs> Townsend. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Um, <laughs>
12: it's Dr. Matt Townsend, relationship expert.
13: Relationship expert. Yeah. MD. Um, not, not a PhD. PhD. No. <laughs> PhD yeah. Different. Um, no, so we we have a segment um, where we're going to be interviewing a librarian, and we help, as producers, we help find the music. So Arthur is known, besides being a great um, tool for educating young children of producing great music, one of those songs is it's uh, not hard to have fun if you have a library card. So I was oh. searching that for the show. Awesome. It's <laughs> going to be great. Now, um, let me
2: ask you this. How come you watched it for six hours? <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, Different d-
13: trying to find, like, where to come into the song and where to exit, because really I wanted to have the whole song, but
2: <laughs> yeah. Terry
13: said I couldn't,
2: so. Yeah. yeah. I-, I downloaded it if you want it. I bought it on iTunes. <laughs> That's great.
12: Um, besides David and Arthur on my Snapchat story Matt, you're kind of the star of my Snapchat.
2: I know. And I didn't even know you were filming it.
12: <laughs> there are constant videos and snaps that I, I post of me and you or you saying funny things. And I just I have so much joy <laughs> with you that I wanted to share it with my followers. But, and that is why the Snapchat and why I wanted you to get one.
2: Well, but legally, you should advise people when you're filming, right? Because <laughs> well, it's like a lot I mean, of times those are things I didn't even know you were <laughs> filming
12: now you're always like on the lookout though totally. <laughs> making sure I'm not filming
2: I used to have the I was used to be so relaxed about the show and now I'm. <laughs> always anytime you it. walk in I'm watching your <laughs> phone so so I'm now on snapchat
12: yeah I sent you a snapchat yesterday
2: okay d- you did
12: and you you looked at it about three hours later yeah. and never replied
2: I didn't know how to reply I
12: think I'm your only friend on snapchat no still. you are
2: <laughs> no and then there's some other association oh I love Dubai
12: <laughs> well, okay. So that this is what we can teach you about Snapchat. Yeah. So um one of the things that I found interesting is that Snapchat users, they spend an average of twenty five to thirty minutes every day using it what? and watching videos. And this that doesn't necessarily mean they're watching videos or snaps from their friends, but Snapchat has this thing, it's called Discover, and they have a lot of different platforms and, and different companies that are posting live feeds, and that's why Terry got Snapchat, because Terry got Snapchat a couple weeks ago, and he uses that to watch. He's Um, all over it. Yeah, he doesn't send us snaps, but he watches these Discover things on Snapchat that CNN has, or Refinery29, all those different um, little outlets have Snapchat videos that people are watching, and that's what a majority of people are using Snapchat for, and people like Terry are using it, which okay. I thought was interesting. This could yeah. be
2: fun then, because it's just another way to waste time. Exactly,
12: it's like
13: well, it's a, it's a potential news source. You know? ah, there's yeah, all totally. these, and it's it's instant as it's happening. Um, and be- short and concise. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's Snapchat's evolved, and it's uh, according to Fortune Magazine, an article they said it's worth estimated nineteen
2: billion dollars.
13: What? Mm-hmm. Are
2: you serious? Which is a
13: lot of money. See,
2: again, I always Good thought job, it, <laughs> it's the thing that we didn't want our kids to watch.
12: See, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. But It can be great. Like David and I, we just spend hours now Hold harassing it. each other on Snapchat. We're but not, not while
2: you're working, right? Never. You guys are no. never on Snapchat while working. Just like we never watch Arthur. Work. Did you notice that? David never brings his phone into work.
12: David's also a liar.
2: We ought to make that a rule for the team.
12: Yeah, no phones <laughs> well, at work. But I'm winning the Snapchat war.
13: Well, that's debatable.
2: Well, you, for example, I'm sitting there just talking to you, and next thing I know, I pushed the button. This
12: is Matt discovering Snapchat on air. <laughs> this is air. <laughs> a,
2: a commercial that we don't want playing. <laughs> just turn the volume down. Um, you filmed me talking about Honey Boo Boo.
12: Oh, I saved that video. It is classic.
2: Well, but again, it just seems like that's not appropriate because I had no idea. Well. (laughs) So the benefit of Snapchat for just the average person is what?
13: It's an opportunity to share. Uh, So Instagram and Facebook, you know, those are more like permanent. Like you put something on there, it's on a long time. Snapchat, you have the option of what they call my story, which stays up for 24 hours. So you can keep in contact and see what's going on in people's lives, but... It's not going to be an overload of information. It's going to disappear
2: Why? the next day. But it seems like it takes you forever to do it.
12: It doesn't. It takes a second.
10: Yeah.
2: Well, it takes you that do it every day a second. But for the rest of us, it well, takes 20 Well, we're going like to teach you. Minutes.
12: I want you to send okay. your first snap. So okay. I want you Let's to pull it. it up, and we're going to send your first snap. Right. And it's going to go on your story and to me, because that's the only options you have.
2: Okay. I'm not afraid. I'm there.
12: Okay. Now. So get your camera up, and you're going to take a selfie.
2: Um, I don't know how I want
12: to be in it with you though
2: to get my camera up okay my camera's up and we're going to take a selfie see my gang sign
13: yeah I'm on the opposite side of this it's a great photo I know this is radio it's hard okay. to explain but
2: so I will then address it to my one fan person and
12: put it,
2: okay. and so, and put it on your story so I'm going to put that to Kaylee are
12: you going to write me a little note with it
2: I doubt it.
12: Okay. That's step two.
2: Okay. Kaylee. There Jim. it is. And
12: click my story. Um, oh, you missed that. But I did receive it.
2: Man. Um, you know what? Let's just do this instead. Let's just hire a social media person.
12: <laughs> okay. And
2: have them do that. I know a guy. Do you? Me. Okay. So Snapchat. Uh, if Facebook didn't overwhelm you enough and instagram and twitter you also can be overwhelmed by snapchat
12: you're the only one that's overwhelmed i think okay
2: i guess that's it that was a good segment you guys um thank you david thanks yeah again how's your aunt boyle doing the singer from the uk
13: yeah susan's doing well um it's tough. She tries to call, and usually I'm asleep. Yeah. There's a time difference. But, she's uh, never gotten that down, has no. she? No. But she, she sends
2: you snaps
12: all the time. Yeah, she's big singing. on Snapchat.
2: Yeah, she's, yeah. Yeah, she's big. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, great segment, guys. Thanks. And um, thanks, Kaylee. Yeah. For the cake and the, the cute little selfie. Yeah. And David, thanks. Yeah. Again, the producers spending time on Snapchat. We'll take a break. Come back. Visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us, folks. By the way, they're on Snapchat as well. You're not going to want to miss it. we we'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. To the Matt Townsend Show. A little theme music in honor of today's day. We won't say what the day is, but we are going to let our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation guess the day based on this song. Let's shoot it down to our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. Goose. Goose. (laughs) Goose. You I wanted got to be
8: it, Maverick, dude. I you nailed wanted it. To be Maverick in Top Gun.
2: You did you really?
8: Oh, I absolutely. I wanted to be a fighter pilot after that movie came out.
2: And uh, look how it turned out.
8: I now just wanted to be fighter a fighter pilot in Studio B.
2: You are a fighter. You are a fighter pilot. And look at your wingman. You've got a wingman.
1: It's a co situation. Yeah. What would
2: you guys need better names?
8: They all have nicknames on their helmets in that Mm -hmm. movie: Maverick and Goose and Iceman. Yeah. Who would you be? Jasper. I don't know who. I was more of Team Jacob. What?
2: Yeah, that's something different. I think.
8: Oh. Oh Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Jasper the Vampire. Which, by the way, uh, when I lived in Palm Springs, a bunch of youth in the church that I went to down there used to call me Jasper because they thought that I looked like him. Really? I was pale. <laughs>
2: <laughs> now they call you pale?
8: Well, no, I mean like that because they thought I was pale. Oh, you were pale. Like a vampire. I don't
2: think you're pale.
8: Which is funny because I was I probably the most pale. tan I've ever been in my life when I lived in the sunshine of Palm Springs.
2: Yeah, you, you um, probably would go out and tan every day.
8: On the golf course, I would.
2: Ooh. Well, so you guys need some really cool names. Some... And
8: what, what would our helmets say if we were Top Gun pilots? I don't know.
2: I know what yours would be, Jerem. What? Vibrato.
8: vibrato. Oh, vibrato. Vibrato.
2: It's not a very popular. It's not. doesn't it sound so masculine.
1: Popular.
2: <laughs> like that. Beautiful. Yeah. Hey, um, and we got to get one for you. What's Spence? What's yours going to be?
8: Oh, no. How about Spenmac? Let's just go with that.
2: How about lightning? Spender! <laughs> Spender! Yep. How about suspenser?
8: Sus- oh, no, that You know that my the name thing. comes from the, the word dispenser, right? Really? As in a servant or one who...
2: One who serves others? Yes. Wow. Delivery. My son's going to love to hear that. His name's Spencer, too. Now I've just made him my servant. Spencer 1 and Spencer too. Mm-hmm. Okay, guys, I'm going to give you a test.
1: We graduated already. This is not
2: necessary. No, this is such an easy test. It's four things, but you need to write them down, and I'm going to do them quick, okay? I've already tested my people here, and one failed and one succeeded. So it's just four questions, and um, I'm going to have to make the questions up, okay? Hit it. You ready? Question number one, don't say them out loud, but write them down. Question number one, what's two plus five? Okay. Question number two, what's three plus seven?
1: Okay.
2: Question number three. What's seven minus four? Mm-hmm. Question number four. Name a vegetable. Write it down. Kay. Okay. Okay. Um, all I want to know is what vegetable you named. A carrot. A, a carrot. F- for suspenser and for Tomatoes vibrato. Tomatoes are
8: fruit. Tomatoes fruit. And f- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, garbage.
2: Okay. So do you want to name a? T- do you want to name a, v- a vegetable? It's too late. You already failed. I said carrot. Oh, you said carrot. (laughs) Carrot, 90% of the time, the answer is carrot. Interesting. 90% of the time. Do you know why? Asparagus. No, yeah. Except Ben here, our board operator, he said eggplant. Okay. (laughs) He failed the test. 90% of the time, people answer vegetable. Do you know why? Because it is the symbol in your mind for a vegetable.
1: For a vegetable. It's because it's orange. It's the it prototype. A distinct color. Mm-hmm. Even, even are, if you don't like there are vegetables. There a lot of foods that yeah. are orange. Right? So
2: you guys are, again, but again, um, Vibrato needs to learn what's a vegetable and what's a fruit.
1: I think that's <laughs> grade A tomato. bologna. <laughs> I, when you think of vegetables, when I think of a fruit, I, I don't think of a tomato.
2: Especially when you're like drinking a V8. That seems Listen, like fruit juice. Well, it seems Listen, like vegetables. Vegetable
1: juice is a thing of the nineties. <laughs> Kids do not like V. When I hear V eight, I think of the fruit juice. Now, not
2: do you now? Vegetable. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. The V drinking the, a
1: vegetable. What person came up with that? What a terrible idea! <laughs> no, the uh, person. They made millions. Yeah,
2: the person that's trying but to the taste make millions. Is
1: awful. I'm talking about preference.
2: No, I like it. You know what? I like the acid of it.
1: There's lots of things I don't consume that are.
2: Like money? You don't like the corrosiveness of it? Man.
1: The corrosiveness? Yeah. It's too healthy. It doesn't taste good.
2: Let me let me ask you guys another question.
1: Most of what I consume tastes good.
2: Well, like tomatoes.
1: I don't really consume tomatoes that much. Hmm.
2: I wonder why you said it.
1: Because you asked me? That's for a a psychologist to figure out.
2: Do you guys think it's weird if you took like a 1,000-pound bison – and you named the bison bullet and then you made it a house pet <laughs> there is a there's a woman in texas argyle texas <laughs> that, has, that has a 1000 pound bison that lives in her house
8: hmm. what's its name it's bullet, bullet. oh it's bullet
2: yeah she like walks up to it rubs its cute little furry head
1: hello bullet come here bullet
2: conk 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 yeah, well, it is
1: a uh, it is the national mammal now.
2: Yeah. So it's kind of Be, a big deal. D- yeah, d- exactly. Do you know Sorry,
1: how I, you said
8: bullet? I was not paying attention because I was writing a tease for my show.
2: Oh, you were. <laughs> so you're not paying attention.
8: <laughs> not okay. in that moment. <laughs>
2: That's it. That's good to know. That's good to know. Do you know what's weird is when bullet comes to the door and starts scratching to get in? That's got to freak out your like party guests. Um, there's a bison.
8: Yeah. Oh, don't worry. He's uh, he's harmless. Bullet, get back. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Bullet. Can you imagine him at the dinner
2: table? (laughs) (laughs) Bullet, sit.
1: Little napkin, sit, bullet.
2: Honey, do you have any hay for bullet? (laughs) It's good times. The flies Flies everywhere. (laughs) <laughs> this big bullet tails flapping <laughs> all over.
1: I'm really glad that there are <sighs> that there are idiots in society because they make us laugh with what
2: they, they do. They totally do. Cause people Cause that think tomatoes are vegetables. Tomatoes, are like tomatoes. Yeah. How
8: many people say that about it's us? Great. I'm really glad that there are a couple of idiots on BYU Sports Station. because they no. make us laugh.
2: You guys are stars. I'm Come hate to be being
1: idiot then. This is fantastic.
2: <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got another question for you. Spurs out. See ya, Duncan. In or does he go?
1: I don't know. He's looking old, man. He does look old. He was not good in the series. He was good last night, but he was not good in the
2: series. Oh, I didn't see him play last night. Last time I saw him, he, all he did was throw a ball in.
8: Bring him off the bench, man. Let him play 15 minutes a game. He's Tim Duncan. I'm cool <sighs> if he sticks around. Plays stick his, his stick like around one more year. A do a little Kobe player. goodbye.
2: Yeah.
1: It's just pathetic. It's sad. It with Kobe. It's just sad.
8: At least Tim Duncan went out in the playoff if this is his last year.
1: I know, but... That's no, not bad. Well, it was underwhelming, the... The season was underwhelming, and part of the reason the season is
8: was underwhelming, or the playoffs were underwhelming, because the season was
1: great. The playoff determines a lot of how the season is, right? So if the if the warriors if the warriors don't win the title, it was, it's a disappointment. It this. That's yeah, true. It's it's what's the expectation, right? They set up a. You can't win like sixty nine games and then not make it to the Western Conference Finals.
10: That's like, true. Hey,
2: that remember would, that year we didn't.
1: That would have been a great we finals. Disappointed, right?
2: but this is going to be I'm a great finals, about right? About the Thunder and yeah. the Warriors. It should be a fun series. Holy
1: cow! You My, know it's not exciting. Raptors heat.
2: I hate Raptors heat. Or, Those have actually or, been
1: good basketball games, though.
2: Isn't that a medical condition?
1: It's from the east. That's yeah. not even possible.
2: Have you guys ever had that <laughs> Raptors heat?
1: <laughs> I just get You all... can feel a Raptors heat. <laughs>
2: I need some cream for my raptor. I'm down with
1: something. Heat. I think I've got Raptor's heat. I've, got, I've contracted Raptor's heat.
2: <laughs> That's crazy. Okay, go to your show. What are we doing on your show?
1: Raptor's calves. That's even worse. <laughs> a calves' heat. Oh. <laughs> the Cavaliers' heat?
2: Have you ever had a Cavs heat? Oh, you do not know heat until you've had a Cavs heat.
1: Oh. My Cavs heat.
2: Ow! <laughs> <laughs> Pulled
1: my calves' heat. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, on the show. Yeah, the Big Twelve yeah. pumps the brakes on expansion. Pumping the brakes, man. What Matt. was said yesterday? What? by Oklahoma's president that changes everything? Oh, brother. David kay. Nixon will weigh in. Okay, TV analyst. Kay. he's from College Station, so he's got a little bit of uh, you know upbringing in the Big Twelve. Has mm-hmm. that perspective.
8: And Taysom Hill gets a new
1: jersey number. What number is it? What we'll you. really? Yep. And am I wearing a jersey of that number? On the show today, Jerem may or may not be doing Mayer that. May not. <laughs>
2: I bet you are, you <laughs> guys. You said it was number nine. I want, ooh, and that's not man. Yeah, huh.
1: we'll tell you the number.
2: Okay, that's, that's a good show. Anything else?
1: Chris Watkins, women's soccer.
2: They mm. just went to Italy. Mm-hmm. They
1: had the time of their lives. They'll tell us how it went.
2: Plus, they played well too. Plus, you'll have more from Suspenser and Vibrato. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
8: Yeah, don't get greedy. We've given you a lot, Matt.
2: No, you guys have given me a ton. Don't get me wrong. Five <laughs> minutes
1: solid content, bro.
2: Plus, you and... totally helped me out with my Raptor heat.
8: Yeah, take care of that Raptor seat, bro. Hey. It's gnarly.
2: <laughs> it's Raptor heat, not Raptor seat. Oh, sorry. It's totally different. Okay. <laughs> thanks, guys. Have a great one. Bye. Knock him dead. That's crazy. Yeah, that Raptor heat will get you. He's just going to get you. Hey, um, did you know that when you go to a hotel and sleep there in the hotel uh, in an unfamiliar surrounding, half of your brain stays up to protect you. Which is why you don't get as much sleep. Well, that and you're playing video games. You don't get as much sleep when you're sleeping in an unfamiliar place because your brain stays awake, uh, more awake, um, the left side stays more awake than the right side and they believe that is to protect you. Something must be wrong with me because I sleep pretty
5: well in hotels. Do you? Yeah. Well, that also might be the medication you're taking. That's true. Good point. It kind of sedates my brain. Yeah, that's yeah.
2: right, which legally we have to do <laughs> to keep you normal. Um, it is really uh, – it's why you might be tired when you go on trips or vacations because um, your mind's not quite there yet. And then after – they call that the first night effect and then eventually it wears off. And then you can sleep like a baby until you get home. The weird thing about my life, I think I have the same thing going on when I'm sleeping at my house because I have people coming home at all hours of the night now Ah, because these college students come back and now they're everywhere. They're wearing my shoes, my clothes. Anyway, I don't want to get negative on you, but it's just how it rolls. Hey, um another crazy story. I told you about the uh, bison. There's another thing you got to go look up. Look it up on our, our page um, uh, uh, at Dr. Matt show on our Twitter feed. It's an agile squirrel that I just is, is one of my heroes of the day. Because let's say you're a squirrel and you've lost your back legs. Don't ask how, but somehow this squirrel lost its back legs. Well, the squirrel knows how now to run around on its front legs. So it just does handstands, and it runs around, and there's video of this tree-dwelling crazy little squirrel, brown squirrel, that's running around um, on its hands, doing a handstand. Anyway, again, nature, isn't that cool? We just – that little squirrel's going to make it one way or another. Also, the real hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show, authorities say a nine-year-old girl abducted by her uncle last week in Tennessee was found – Thursday, according to the AP, authorities are crediting two good Samaritans: Carly Trent, um, uh, okay, for rescuing Carly Trent and apprehending her uncle Gary Simpson, Donnie Lawson, and Roger Carpenter. Heard law enforcement; um, they heard the 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 kind of the the Amber Alert that was out, and they were looking for this girl. And Donnie Larson and Roger Carpenter um, heard and believed that Simpson and Carly could be in a remote area. So they decided to check out a wooded area accessible only by ATV. And that's when they found the missing girl and her uncle. Carpenter, a Baptist minister, held Simpson at gunpoint while Lawson called the police. The director of the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation calls the men heroes for finding Carly in that isolated area and then putting themselves in imminent danger. Pretty amazing story, folks, because of two people that just thought about it and maybe followed a prompting, perhaps. That's the good in the world, and it exists for all of us. This uh, show is to help us see that good. You are part of that good. So please, let's all step up. Let's make it a great weekend. We'll be back next Monday. More ideas, more tools, 9 to noon, Eastern Time, right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Until Monday, take care of each other. Be good Samaritans.